<laughs> What's happening? Oh, go ahead. What's happening, weirdo? <laughs> Don't do it sad. <laughs> I just thought because this is you made it weird, I would say it. Okay, now I'm embarrassed. Don't be embarrassed. <laughs> you said. What's happening, weirdos? Well, this is a You Made It Weird, which is the one Wednesday edition, but Val is the co-host on it, mm-hmm. which is perfect. Yep, and, and I'm just chiming in right off the bat. Which I love. <laughs> and this is a chat between Mirabai Star, me, and Val, and it is lovely. Why don't you tell them about Mirabai's book? We plug her book. We love Mirabai's book. Uh, she has multiple books. Any of them are fantastic, but the one that... We talk about on this episode a lot is called Wild Mercy, um, which is amazing. It's amazing, and it's kind of about bringing in the feminine, you know, kind of back into spirituality and taking um, wisdom from spiritual mystics. Uh, uh, sorry, feminine mystics, and she's just she's one of those people that truly every word that she writes or every word that she speaks is just like gold syrup drenching my heart yeah <laughs> She's and we got to really do it special. in person because she was here we were both doing uh an event at the wisdom honoring ramdas the 50 year anniversary of be here now mm-hmm. and so she came by here in the garage and we recorded it was awesome mm-hmm. and her her husband um gangadas was also here so you'll hear him uh be referenced a few times we are doing a couple things to plug up top. We're doing a live We Made It Weird at Largo with the musician Amy Mann and the comedian Moshe Kasher and me and Val. And also on December 14th, I'm doing my stand-up show, Living at Largo, which is always incredible. Um, the last one was with Brett Goldstein and Taylor Tomlinson. It's always the highlight of my month. Judd Apatow showed up. It was incredible. Tickets to both of those are at largo-la.com. And as always, if you like this show... Please show your support by trying one of the Pete's Picks. We only do ads for things that we actually use and actually love, like Ned CBD. CBD, I've called it for many years my happy juice. It is a wonderful plant ally to help me with stress, sleep, pain, even anxiety or inflammation. It's a wonderful mood elevator. It doesn't get me stoned. It doesn't take me out of the game. You can read on it. You can work on it. You can focus on it. But it just gives you a little bit of a smile behind your face. Even if you're not smiling, you feel just a little bit of a of a lift from this wonderful plant. And Ned makes incredible CBD. All of Ned's full-spectrum hemp oil is extracted from USDA-certified organic hemp plants grown by an independent farmer named Jonathan in Paonia, I always say it wrong, Colorado. If you have a minute, do an image search for Paonia, Colorado and look up how dope this is. These guys are serious about their full-spectrum hemp oil. Uh, these products are science-backed, nature-based solutions that offer an alternative to prescription and over-the-counter drugs. They're chock-full of premium CBD and full spectrum of active cannabinoids. I always say that wrong. Cannabinoids. Cannabinoids. Oh, really? Cannabinoids. I always said cam- cannabinoids. Cannabinoids. Uh, well, help me with these. Terpenes, flavonoids, and trichomes. 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 Look, a lot of good stuff, sciencey stuff, CBD stuff. Ned's full spectrum hemp oil nourishes the bodies 
endocannabinoid system (laughs) to offer functional support for stress, sleep, inflammation, and balance. I want to talk about Ned's new brand product, which has been in development for over a year, which is the De-Stress Blend. This is a one-for-one formula of CBD and CBG, which is made from the world's purest full-spectrum hemp and features a botanical infusion of ashwagandha, cardamom, and cinnamon. CBG, known as the mother of all cannabinoids, because of how effective it is at combating anxiety and stress by inhibiting the reuptake of GABA, the neurotransmitter responsible for stress regulation. So this is a wonderful, mellowing, de-stressing cannabinoid. Cannabinoid? Cannabinoid is what I always said, but I... Cannabinoid. Yeah. Cannabinoid. Ashwagandha, which is an amazing adaptogen. It's an Ayurvedic adaptogen that enhances your body's resilience to stress. I know there's so many words in here. Like a, this is like an obstacle course for the I tongue. I know. A cardamom and even cardamom. Cardamom and, and cinnamon, cinnamon are delicious and they, they give a great taste to the de-stress blend. And the botanical infusion uh, is a powerful prebiotic that supports gut health and is a key player in mental health. And cardamom can bat stress by helping reduce your blood pressure and cortisol levels. Mm-hmm. Ned shares third-party lab reports who farms their products and their extraction process right there on the site, so full transparency. And their CBD products have over 1,500 five-star reviews, and they work with incredible partners within the medical field like Dr. Caroline Leaf, Dr. Christian Gonzalez, and Dr. Will Cole. So try it. I love it. I got the de-stress blend in the, in the cupboard currently. I take it usually when I get home from work. helps me ease into my evening, and I love it. If you want to try the G-Stress blend from Ned, a brand that we love and trust, they, we have a special offer for weirdos. Every $40 qualifies for 15% off and a free de-stress blend sample. And it's a generous sample. I love it. It's a good dose. It's a good couple doses. Go to helloned.com slash weird or enter weird, baby. Sorry, I blew it. Go to helloned.com slash <laughs> weird or enter weird at checkout to take advantage of this offer. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash weird to get 15% off <laughs> plus a free de-stress blend sam- sample on any order over 40 bucks. Thank you, Ned, for sponsoring the program and offering our listeners a natural remedy for some of life's most common health issues. Second, but not least, (laughs) I have been loving giving Brody Sunday's dog food. It is incredible. He runs for it. He loves it. He loves it. He he gallops for it. Mm -hmm. He doesn't usually finish his dog food because he apparently he didn't like it as much. His tail wags so much it creates a breeze when he eats it. He licks its chops. It's like we're living inside of a dog commercial, Mm -hmm. dog food commercial. We've seen a noticeable difference in his energy since switching over to Sundays. And just to get it out of the way up top, Sundays delivers this human-grade, air-dried dog food. Basically, it almost looks like a Cheerios box. It kind of looks handsome in the the pantry. It doesn't look like normal dog food. It's air-dried, and dogs prefer the taste of Sundays 20 to 0. I didn't even know that would happen. That means every out of 20, they all went to Sundays. And if you're like me, you know I have a complicated relationship with Brody, but we love him. He's part of our family. And, And if you want to treat him like family, why are we feeding him burnt kibble? Why not feed them food that actually tastes good for them, uh, good to them and is super healthy for them? So Meat Sunday is the first and only, that's right, only, human-grade air-dried dog food, combining the nutrition and taste of all natural human-grade food 
with, an, with the ease of zero prep, which I love, ready-to-eat formula, Sundays is the best way to feed your best friend. Sundays is easier for dog parents to manage than refrigerated human-grade dog food brands, which we can attest to. We used mm-hmm. to have some of those. It would be our entire fridge, and he would go through it so fast. It's like there wasn't any room for our food. With this, with Sundays, there's no fridge, no prep, and no cleanup. And unlike most human-grade dog food, Sundays is gently air-dried and ready-to-eat versus the other brands that are cooked and frozen and need to thaw. It's as simple as scoop, serve, and watch your pup devour it. In a blind taste test, like I said, they outperform leading competitors 40 to 1. No artificial binders, synthetic additives, or general garbage. Seriously, look at the label. All of Sunday's ingredients are easy to pronounce, except for quinoa, and healthy uh, and healthy for dogs to eat. Simply said, Sunday's makes it easier for me to be an awesome dog parent. We are absolutely subscribed. He hates when we run out, so we had to subscribe. And we worked out a special deal for our listeners. Receive 35% off your first order. Go to sundaysfordogs.com slash weird or use code weird at checkout. That's S-U-N-D-A-Y-S-F-O-R-D-O-G-S dot com forward slash weird. Switch to Sundays and feel good about what you are feeding your dog. Last but not least, I can't even see it's dark in here. What would you call that? Uh, It looks like sprinkles, like ice cream sprinkles. Kind of, yeah. It's like a nice maroon or a nice fuchsia color with like a pattern. And these are the new cut. MeUndies redid their, it was already great, but they redid it and I love it even more. And the holidays are upon us and it's time to really lean in. We're talking hugs. We're talking secret family recipes. We're talking about seeing the looks on your loved ones' faces as they unwrap their matching PJ sets at the same time. (laughs) This year, MeUndies wants to bring you comfort, bring you, what? Wants to help you bring comfort home Thank for you. the holidays. This year, MeUndies wants to help you bring comfort home for the holidays. This is your sign to surround your family and friends with comfort. While you're at it, why not get a little something for yourself, too? Val and I, 100% real. Like I said, we don't do ads for things we don't love. I'm wearing them now. Did a top-to-tails reboot, re- refresh of our entire underwear stash and we have not looked back, especially now that it's getting cold. I'm throwing on my MeUndies onesies at night. I'm sleeping in the loungewear, which I love to use as PJs. And with the classic plaid and holiday sweater prints, MeUndies is turning up the comfort this holiday season. Their undies, loungewear, and sleepwear are made of the most soft, breathable, stretchy fabrics that are ideal for getting cozy by the fire with a cup of hot cocoa. Mmm, uh, yes. Make your whole family <laughs> I turned into Jeff Goldblum. Uh, oh, yes. yes. Make yes, the uh, whole the fam cooker. smile uh, while well, matching PJ sets or spoil your partner with a mm, plush robe and slippers. Ooh. Whatever you decide, everyone will be rolling in the new year comfier than ever before. Available in sizes XL, extra small through 4XL. I actually wear 3XL because I, I don't like them too tight. Me on these has a little something for everyone on your list. Looking for more inspiration? Check out their holiday gift guide for all things cozy and comfy. And MeUndies has a great offer for the weirdos. For any first-time purchase, you get 15% off and free shipping right to your door. Your days of fighting for your life in the mall parking lot are over. To get 15% off your first order, free shipping, and 100% satisfaction guarantee, go to MeUndies.com slash weird. That's MeUndies.com slash weird. And show your support of this podcast. Okay, guys, hope to see you on November 22nd for the live We Made It Weird. And in the meantime, enjoy the incredible Mirror by Star. Check out Wild Mercy. Uh, we hope you enjoy. Belle? Yeah. Get into it. I love getting to the airport early. That's actually a fine place to start. We just chat. 
Yeah. So there's no, there's not going to be like a good part. This isn't going to be like a, well, I, I do have your book, so I might read you from your own book, but this isn't going to be like the Terry Gross interview where she like, you know, where they read uh excerpt of your book and then they're just quiet and you have to be like, uh, yeah. So w- <laughs> when I, when I mentioned that, uh, I guess I, what I meant was, <laughs> It's well, not going to be like that. We can start with this because you asked me, Mirabai and I both did the Ramdas Dome event, the Wiz Dome event. And you said something very nice, which was, how did you rest? How did you like recuperate mm. or maybe recover? And it just seemed like you related to it. So I'm going to say it to you again because I'd love to hear your thoughts as a spiritual teacher. I said, I woke up with a bit of a vulnerability hangover because I had done that little talk, which was an honor to be asked to do for real. And I had done a podcast that day where I made a lot of the same points. So I had been talking a lot about the profound things, deep things, big, big truths and the good news and dropping and trying to be impressive and teach. And then I, in the middle of the night, it wasn't dread or anything, but I I did have that feeling of like, shut up. Mm. Not in the bad way. Not in the bad way. (laughs) There is the bad way that you're like, shut up, you idiot or something. Yeah. It's more to say the first of many Richard Roars, he says all talking needs to be balanced with untalking or not talking. And all knowing needs to be balanced with unknowing. So I really am taking that to heart today, which is funny because we're about to do a podcast and talk about deep things. <laughs> but I really woke up going like, all I did was like snuggle with Leela. It's like our no deep thoughts day. Yeah, I was like for all of my, hey, when you die, it's just like a lobster or whatever. (laughs) I just wanted to be like, and also, I don't know. I have no idea what's going on. What a strange thing that's bigger than me. How did you feel and what did that make you think? Mm. And also welcome and we love you. Yeah, and we love you and we're so happy you're here. Thank you, Pete and Valerie. (laughs) (laughs) I feel done with that. That's enough. (laughs) (laughs) Enough love? No, just enough talking. Oh, good. Yeah, we can just be quiet. Like, here, welcome and we love you. That's (laughs) That's good good enough. Cash out. (laughs) Do you feel that way? Yeah, well, that that's a perfect actual lead into what I do feel, which is that I used to say that I make my living talking about the silence. Mm. And I know a lot about unknowing. And I talk a lot about the fact that it cannot be talked about. Mm. And that's kind of how I feel about yesterday. It's I do believe, you all, that... <clears throat> I do believe that the more specifically we can tell our own story and speak our own experience, the more universal it becomes. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things I love about you, Pete, and both of you, is that when you speak to and from your own experience, we're all just nodding our heads going, yes, that's that's me too. It's a phenomenon of storytelling too, like making a TV show where like, my mom would kiss me on the lips and, and like out of the woodwork comes all these people like, yeah. And I'm like, well, I never saw that on TV before. Mm. You know what I mean? So super specific, super broad. And mm. so when you, I mean, I understand the feeling of the vulnerability hangover. I live with that because yeah. I talk a lot about my story and my subjective emotional experience. Mm. And so I feel very exposed a lot of the time. And yet I know that that's exactly what people are resonating right. with. But at the end of the day, when it's time to curl up in bed, I'm like, oh my God, I did it again. I just want a little break from the Mirabai Star story. I ha- That is exactly again. how I felt was, you did it again. 
Like you ate the cake or whatever. Because it is, it can be fun and even healing. So in that sense, it's self-indulgent, not bad self-indulgent. Like I'm talking about how cool or great I am. That's classic self-indulgent. But it's self-indulgent that I'm like, it helps me to be heard and to be understood and to share. So it's like this, hopefully, this mutually beneficial thing. So while I'm doing it, there's no part of me that's like, you're going to regret this. <laughs> but then when things get quieter and you're just sit back at home or in bed, you, I, I do go like, you did it again. You I'm, really blabbed. I have that even at <laughs> parties or dinners or, yes. you know, where I feel so engaged and I, and I will be enjoying it you know, even as it's happening and then the car ride home, I'm like, I think that's a really, really relatable feeling. Everybody's like going over everything they said. I said this to this person. Mm-hmm. So it's not just teachers. I yeah. wonder if Ramdas had it. So we both love Ramdas to get people an entry point from this podcast directly to you is you are one of the few people that loves Ramdas and Richard Rohr. So I don't have a lot of those. I've never met Josh Radner, the actor, is one of those. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you know who he is, but he loves Richard and Ramdas, and you love Richard and Ramdas. And just as a thought experiment for fun, I don't, I don't have a guess if if Ramdas would do a talk and then be like, "Shut up, Tech," (laughs) you know, like, "What are you Mm -hmm. doing?" He seemed like he was okay surfing. I can't tell. That's a really good question. <laughs> I, you know, maybe because he was always so in touch with his own idiosyncrasies and neuroses, mm. maybe that was one place where he was healthy. In, mm. I mean, not mm. the only place he was healthy. I think he was mm-hmm. a relatively healthy guy, but he was so upfront about how unhealthy he was mentally and emotionally that mm. that it could be that he didn't do as much second guessing as those of us like me that may, you know, fancy ourselves more um, on a path of, you know, an evolutionary trajectory. Mm. This is going to get better. I'm eventually going to stop being such a neurotic um, schmoo, as one does <laughs> called, called it. And uh, and so I still think I labor under the illusion that I'm getting somewhere. And mm. I think there was something about Ramdas that really modeled, apparently not successfully enough in my case, how to be okay with exactly where you are. Yeah. I feel like you're really good at that, Pete. Mm. <sighs> I don't, I, I'll agree and say I'm better at it than I, than I used to be. Something's, something's happened and there's more calmness and a little bit. And you're really good at that, Val. I'm not just saying that. Val's been really good at teaching me that. Mm. And what I'd love to talk about with both of you is you're talking about Ramdas knowing that he's neurotic or recognizing that he needs to love himself in this moment. But either of those modes requires the thermometer to be in the turkey. You know what I mean? Like you need to be paying attention. And Val and I were just talking about, it's just been a point this week where like, if you're paying attention to how you feel, like with honesty, mm-hmm. not with just like a narrative of like, well, I'm like this archetype and therefore I'm brave or whatever. But like, you're really going like, hey, you know, I'm brave a lot of the time, but right now I'm scared of the car behind me for some mm-hmm. reason. Like really to an embarrassing extent, checking in on how you feel, you're in the 1% like of, of emotional people, from what I can tell. Mm, <laughs> like We love having fair. these conversations, but I'm like, the people listening are clearly interested in that sort of stuff. And it, it took me a long time to start going, getting really real with how I'm feeling and working with it instead of how I think I should be feeling, including the bad feelings, the quote-unquote bad feelings, the anger or the, the lust or the greed or, or just deceit or whatever, and just going like, that's happening 
too, instead of the church that you weren't raised in, but the church that I was raised in was like, act like you don't have those things. Mm. Like, put on khakis, shake hands, and comb your hair real nice, and just act as if you've been converted, mm. like as if you've been transformed, and that'll be enough. <laughs> I don't know yeah. how I got on that, but what well, I'm, I want to talk about embodiment, I want to talk about feelings, and I want to talk about conversion, because that's what we're talking about. Like, how do you convert yourself to be whole and accept every part of you? That's That seemed to be the conversation. Yeah, yeah. And I think the piece of that awareness of what's happening inside you that can sometimes be missing for me, I'll just speak for myself, um, is just what you're saying, where I can use that that mindfulness of this is how I'm feeling and and this is what my thought patterns are and really knowing my inner world and idiosyncrat or my my neuroses very well uh but I can then start to use that against myself to be like so this is what we have to fix then mm-hmm. you know or this is what's broken it's evidence that you're is- not doing it exactly but really that isn't- and the other the essential piece of it is is non-judgment is self-compassion is like it has to be included in that otherwise it can just for me i can just get really stuck there and and feel like there is a place to go some other place that i'm hopefully heading towards where i'll be more i won't be a schmoo is that the word well i think the schmoos (laughs) were the neuroses themselves yeah oh okay (laughs) (laughs) i thought schmoo was the person too can you speak to that mirror by the idea that spirituality isn't necessarily getting rid of these things as much as it's changing your relationship to them. Mm. Mm. Am I allowed to use the word patriarchy here? Yeah, of course. Um, uh, yes. Okay. Off I, off I go. I would prefer you say business as usual. <laughs> right, I like I'm just kidding. For the dominant culture. Domination. The culture. cool dudes with a Z. <laughs> D-U-D-E-Z. That's what I call the patriarchy. The cool dudes. <laughs> Or the boys club. Yeah, I grew up. Club. I grew up in the boys club. You know, it's it's interesting because I grew up in the counterculture, right of the of the nineteen seventies, where it seemed like everything was an alternative. You know, alternative lifestyles, communal living, and alternative spiritual paths. Buddhism and Hinduism, and and Native and Indigenous traditions that white people adopted instead of the kind of classic Judeo Christian framework or even Sufism was part of this alternative world, which is the the mystical branch of Islam. And so I thought that my parents and all of the people that I knew that followed these alternative spiritual paths were engaging in an alternative to the patriarchy. But guess what? They were, all of those spiritual traditions were just as dominated by a masculine kind of framework and paradigm. And and that was rooted in this notion of purification, not unlike fundamentalist Christianity Mm. or Judaism, and perfection, Mm. that we were perfecting ourselves. We were disciplining ourselves. We were beating the shit out of ourselves in order to Mm. make ourselves worthy of enlightenment. So we called it enlightenment rather than salvation, but I, I do believe that it was the same principle. So I was trained in meditation at a very young age, and it was it was this rigorous, if you don't do this right, you're not spiritual. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like so much of my life in the last few years, okay, a couple of decades, has been about dismantling that framework and mm-hmm. 
embracing. This is one of the things I love about Richard Rohr is is when he says everything belongs and everything is sacred. Mm. I take that into every cell of my body. And it is about embodiment. Mm. It's mm. about saying yes to the whole mess of the of the human experience, including and sometimes especially as that mess unfolds right here in this body, in this personality, in any given moment. Mm, uh, the little war. Richard does, yeah. maybe in the talk that we did together, because I feel like I, we heard him say it recently, men turned religion, especially in the West, well, not all, not just in the West, into sports and war. Yeah. And it was like, we have to beat, in my case, it was like, we have to beat the sinful urges and win for Jesus, even though we knew we had like the trump card to be like, well, we have the blood of the lamb, we win. But like, we sure weren't acting like we had the blood of the lamb. We're like, we got the blood of the lamb and we're good. But I also did just look at that person's ass or whatever, whatever it might be. So you're not good. But that's that's a football game. We're up. Blood of the lamb is up by 14. And then like <laughs> Lucifer's demons are uh, suddenly they, you know, onside kick and they're up by 28. I don't know sports. <laughs> you, did, you did really well. I did. Okay. I did say onside kick because yeah, I would do I that in Madden. I didn't know that term. It's where it looks like you're going to punt, but you punt it very short so you can run and grab your own punt. It's actually oh. one of the most exciting things you can do in football. Wow. You know what a punt is, right? Yes, I do. Mansplain. <laughs> I'm mansplaining. Back to the patriarchy. Let me tell you ladies what an onside kick is. <laughs> Jesus. Help me. Help me. <laughs> that, we, I don't know. I don't know what football is. I didn't. I couldn't help it. I'm, I'm done talking the rest of the episode. <laughs> no. But I got to say, we're all conditioned by this patriarchy. Yes. Even yeah. people like, you know, wonderful white dudes like you that are doing everything you you can to take responsibility for what yes. you inherited but valerie and i are also yep. conditioned by the patriarchy and mm-hmm. we're constantly having to to not say yes to that yes i experienced that this morning when i was trying to clean my house for you guys <laughs> because i was but, but it's also as we have somebody staying at our house um tonight so it wasn't just you but but I was kind of, you know, getting I was in that cleaning mode. In fact, Pete like stopped to hug me in the kitchen and I didn't like I hugged. I was Thich Nhat Hanning her. Yeah. You know the Thich Nhat Hanh thing where you go, my, this is my beloved and she's real? Oh, no. Do you know that one? <laughs> I, I didn't say it. You didn't sometimes say it, that's so I didn't know you were doing that. But I like to think it like this is her and she's real. Oh, she's man. Really no, I did it. You didn't stop me. I, I yeah, we did have. It was a called moment. a tick not hug. But I could see your eyes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then he was like, "You're in cleaning mode." <laughs> I was like, "Yes, I am." Um, but I did stay for the hug. I was. I was. I thought you were going to say last night. I said, "Do you have a lot of good questions for Mirabai?" Not that I don't, but as I'm talking too much already. But I'm like, I'd love for you guys to talk as much because I know you have a lot of topics, and you were like. Well, I, I kind of do. And, and then I teased you mm-hmm. for being a small lady. Like, cause mm-hmm. I'm like, I know you do. And I was like, you should, you should kick in the door and not, you don't have to, but I was like, I know you're going to kill it. <laughs> Is that anything? Uh, sure. I'm sure Is that's, that, that's, that's I, I, patriarchy that's conditioning. That, like, she's like, be small. Don't, yeah. don't be like, you're goddamn right, dude. I'm going to fucking dominate. <laughs> Isn't that more of like an Indiana Jones than a, you know, a Pocahontas, you know, I'm trying to think of <laughs> archetypes. Yeah, I, I mean, it might be. And mm-hmm. I, I think it's also a nine thing. And for yes. those of you who speak Enneagram, um, yeah. and I think that's also a personality trait. But mm. I thought, you know, growing up with a feminist mom, 
that I didn't have a trace of buckling under, you know, a dude telling me what's what, but mm. I know I do. Mm. I know I do. I will defer. I will try to please. Mm-hmm. E- even if I'm perceived as, as being a fairly strong woman, I definitely have this undercurrent mm. of, um, yeah, of just trying to make sure that, that even the strong woman expression is within the bounds that are acceptable to to yeah. the guys. Yeah, and I I wonder if there's something to um like the feminine being and I I, I want to make you can call me out on this. I want to make sure I'm not getting like the feminine and and nine the enneagram 9 mixed up, but I do think there's something to intuiting other people's energies and what they're bringing Mm. and wanting to work in collaboration with those energies. Totally Val. I'm so glad you brought that up because that's the beauty Mm. of the feminine, which is alive in the men that we love as well. Absolutely. So maybe just, this is a good moment. This is a podcast, but they both looked at me with a smile. (laughs) (laughs) And Ganga Das. Yes. (laughs) Had to claim it. I'm JK. That was a hundred percent JK. Keep going. Sorry. Well, that, that there's, um, when we talk about masculine and feminine, I just want to take a second for this. Yes. I know you all who are listening probably resonate with this, but we're not just speaking about male traits and female traits in terms of male bodies and female bodies, yeah. otherwise known as men and women. We're, we're speaking about the energies of the masculine and the feminine. And mm-hmm. one of the beautiful energies of the feminine is just what you're saying, Valerie. It's the... It's collaborative, it's mm. welcoming, it's inclusive, it's it's collective. Mm-hmm. You know, it's about all of us. That's why the whole notion of private salvation and purification and enlightenment in many ways is is foreign or alien to the feminine soul because wow. it doesn't make any sense. Wow. We're, yes. we're all, we all belong to each other. Yes, you really cracked that open for me, especially in your book, Wild Mercy. Everybody go out and buy it now. Oh, thank um, you. But it, I, I think at this time last year, listeners of the We Made It Weird episodes know, like I was really grappling with my spiritual practice kind of in one hand and then on the other hand, my uh, relationship and healing, uh, my trauma healing that I had with my therapist specifically, who's very somatic, really brings like feminine healing into the process. And I just wasn't seeing that in my spiritual practice. And and it felt like two separate things, but I knew that couldn't be true. And And I didn't even know, I didn't know to articulate this then but like it seemed like the more I was um engaging in non-dualism the farther I was feeling from God feeling from everyone and I was getting very scary feelings of like it's all just me so I'm just all alone like everything is just one and it's all me so then I'm alone and that I think is actually relatable for people who are dipping their toe in non-dualism um and it felt really scary and the one i would just try to keep keep going back to what i know about valerie in this human life and it really is and pete can attest to this like when i'm with friends i feel i feel it like when i'm in relationship and you know, dancing with friends or at a great 
dinner party or whatever, that's when I feel the most alive, the most connected. So it just was, it was really contradictory to what I was, how I was kind of misunderstanding a spiritual path. Um, and that's what I loved. You address that right away in Wild Mercy. And I was wondering if you could talk more about non-dualism and kind of the the lack of the feminine in that. Mm. Yeah, we see it a lot in Buddhist philosophy and Buddhist practice as mm-hmm. well, that there is this kind of dry rigor that that masquerades as being spiritual. Mm. And it's dry rigor, the new cologne. (laughs) Honey, pass me my dry rigor. I'm going to the temple. Dry rigor. (laughs) It's all one. (laughs) (laughs) And it's disconnected from the heart. Mm. Yeah, that that cologne is like, it lacks fruit. (laughs) Yes. It needs the essences of fruit. (laughs) It's not ripened. Yeah. It's not juicy. It, it, and so why we we think that that is the full extent of of spirituality often and it's mm-hmm. often early i think on the path and yet ironically people who are pursuing a kind of non-dual path think that that's the that's the essence the height of of spiritual maturity mm-hmm. like those people who who are all gushy and devotional about their spiritual lives, you know, who chant with Krishnadas until they go into an ecstatic stupor. That's beneath me. I'm actually, uh, I understand about Mm non-duality. There's nothing to do and nowhere to go because we're already there and we we are it. Mm -hmm. Thou art that. And all of that is true. And bullshit. Yeah. If you are disconnected from your heart and your body and each other, and the human condition and the mm. suffering in the world and the suffering of our mother, the earth, because you're in this non-dual realm where it's all one and there's no separation and everything is an illusion. To me, that's the opposite yeah. of being an engaged spiritual being in this fleeting little life. Mm. I mean, we all know because we've all lost people we love. It is that life is so fleeting. Mm-hmm. And so the curriculum, as Ram Dass used to call it when we're here, seems to be to show up and try to be of service in alleviating suffering, mm. knowing that ultimately, yes, sub-ek, as, as our Guru Maharaj used to say, all is one. Mm. Absolutely. We know this to be true. Mm-hmm. But do we know it to be true in our bodies and our relationships and here in the relative world? Um, there is racism. Mm-hmm. There is environmental degradation. Mm-hmm. There's greed and and corruption. And if we can do a tiny little bit to, like a mother, to gather the pain of the, the ones who are suffering into our arms and mm-hmm. see if we can do a little something to alleviate it, um, that seems to be maybe why we're here in Judaism. It's tikkun olam, the the mending of the world. That's our human job. Mm. And it's our honor. It's our invitation. It's our joy. Mm. Now, two point conversion is if you're at the at the near the end zone, but you don't think you're going <laughs> to no, get going in, back to football. But you can kick a field goal there, and it's worth two points. <laughs> that was a hundred percent of JK. That was a hundred percent of JK. That was so, so beautiful. beautiful. That's a, that's. I mean, that's such a gift. It's a free podcast, and we. <laughs> yeah, it was already worth it. It was already worth it. You know, it's interesting, Val. Your Val's aversion to um, non. I think we're all on the same boat. Meaning, yes, I think it's all one thing at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. But there is a certain uh, denial of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Like if you're like, 
why then, why not just start as one? It, it's like saying this is stupid. <laughs> you know, this, this is stupid. Yeah. And Ramdas, as I said last night, was like teaching us that you play, you use duality to like keep things moist is what he would say. Mm. So they wouldn't be too brittle and break. I love that. And like mm. to love. And it's the same language you were using with the fruit and, and the dry, what was it? Dry, dry rigor. rigor. All that yeah. sort of stuff. So he wanted to keep it. Uh, I think he even says lubricated, yeah, like keep does. it lubricated and mm-hmm. and moving. Uh, and it is also what's going on. Mm-hmm. Like my relationship with you guys right now, I'm. it doesn't really help me very much to be like, just talking to myself, you know, yeah. although I did go through a time. I, speaking of the patriarchy and the idea of non-dualism, you're like, Val is saying, when I'm dancing with my friends, it's my favorite thing in the world. And I, I'm thinking of the image of you pregnant, literally another life inside mm-hmm. of Val. And of course, you would have a more intuitive understanding of the collective nature of all this. And then I'm thinking about the patriarchy and maybe what it taught me is one of my fundamental core sort of negative beliefs is that people aren't safe. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I wonder, I'm just kind of thinking about it in real time. I'm like, I think I was taught perhaps or just absorbed that people are competition. You know what I mean? Like these are, these people are in the way, you know, we were at a concert the other night and I saw a man dancing and he was really dancing and giving himself to the music. And I remember just sort of knee jerk being like, look at this maroon. You know what I mean? Why is it different that a man is giving himself, you know what I mean? Merging with the music and getting into it where the image of a, of a hippie girl at a concert sort of like snake dancing and <laughs> eyes closed. We're all like, good, look at that divine mama. But the guy that's like, he's got his guard down. You, you nincompoop, you should be making money. Go sell some t-shirts. You know what I mean? <laughs> like find a way to profit. And our experience is when I think about being all alone, I think of it as being a relief. I'm like, oh, I'm all alone and I'm everything. Ah, oh, what, a, what a great thing because I sometimes feel burdened by my role in the world. And, and Val, on the other hand, is like, I want to connect with the world. So mm-hmm. like when we've taken psychedelics, I'm like, it's nice to be like, you get the cookie. It's your little, it's your little time. And she's like, I don't want to go away. <laughs> I, I want to go out and connect. Did that, any of that make any sense? Yeah, that's like, I mean, to me, you, you makes perfect sense to me. Dancing man at Wilco concert. Dancing man. Yeah. I also, I'll put this theory to you. I used to do a bit about this. I think men are very, very, um, we act tough, but almost all of it is, um, to get a boner later. (laughs) So we're walking around with Oakley's and like sleeveless t-shirts and it's just to be like, I'm this kind of guy. I'm this kind of guy. I'm this kind of guy because we can't, and we're never taught how to deal with the humiliation of not being able to perform sexually. So we're always driving trucks and, and smoking cigars and doing all this stuff and rooting for football teams that win so we can win because we don't know how to be broken. And then we look for women that mirror us. And what do you do on a date? You laugh at the bad jokes, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's how a woman postures. I know, maybe not your most evolved self, but like a, a, a cliche young girl giving her advice if she wants to impress a guy is laugh at his jokes mm-hmm. and agree with him and say back to him what he said to you mm-hmm. and encourage him. I don't think that's actually male strength. I think that's male vulnerability. And we just don't know. We're so, I'll say for myself, not so much anymore, but there was a time I was just like, I don't know what to do with this weakness. So I'm going to act like it's not there. And then I'm going to, I'm going to drive fast and I'm going to watch John Wick movies and shooting everybody in the head. So, so I can be like, I'm this kind of guy. I'm a winner. I'm a, I'm a winner. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a sexual, powerful man, but it's not actually strength. It's weakness. Anything? 
Yeah, well, I would love to hear what you have to say about this, but what she's it, pointing a mirror by. What, what it just? <laughs> <laughs> um, what I what that just made me think of was that is a way that the patriarchy has really damaged sex f- and f- for for men and women, but the idea that you have the patriarchy has taken vulnerability out mm-hmm. for men, so. Th- then men's way of relating to sex is uh, it's something I have to achieve. It's another win. An erection. I have that was to part w- of the bit, remember? Like I, you could hang a trophy on it. Yeah. Or a medal, yeah. a gold medal on your erection. Yeah. Like, I've achieved it. So this is and something. I'm going to win sex. Yes. Yeah, so right away, this is something that I can either win or lose at. And all my worth and strength comes from if I am able to achieve this. That's right. And so that creates dynamics. I mean, so many complicated dynamics that, that just don't work with the female body because the male body is not meant to work that way too. Like sex is meant to be, we're both naked in every sense of the word and we're vulnerable and we take, it takes as long as it takes and we're not rushing it and it's timeless and we can let our bodies react in the way that they react but that's just not how it's nobody done in the Western world. Yes, and in, so instead, it's like, uh, TikTok, the boner's here. Let's do it. Yeah. And the, the that was part of the joke. Is... The guest of honor is here. <laughs> and and I, I said, I've lost my erection because the dog came in and looked at me weird. <laughs> so that's not strength. That that. But nobody told me how to be. We. I hope this isn't an overshare, but Val and I had sex recently. <laughs> and I, yeah. And I, during it, it was very post this sort of stuff sex and i i had i didn't say it because i I just didn't know if you would understand but of course you would have i had this urge to say i'm naked with you Mm -hmm. like that is what i'm talking about like i richard and ramdas and all these people that seems to be deprogramming what the patriarchy turned sex into and enlightenment and salvation mirabai Mirabai, you're the pro. (laughs) (laughs) No one's ever called me a sexual expert before. um, In the studio with Sexpert Mirabai star. Her new book, Wild Sex, is available now. (laughs) The sequel. (laughs) I think that you've already said it. It's about the nakedness and vulnerability of love. Mm. That is where the magic unfolds. And I think that all I've ever wanted from men in an intimate situation, I happen to be a cisgendered heterosexual woman is for that person to melt when Mm. he is looking at me in, Mm. in a vulnerable, naked sexual space is, Mm. is to just see my lovers, um, uh, unveiled, to see him just take it all off and allow himself to not know with me. That's where the adventure (laughs) comes. Not be like, that sex was sponsored by Monster Energy Drink. (laughs) Monster, tame your beast. (laughs) (laughs) Like, look at what we're doing. Like, Uh, that is a riff and a joke. But like, look at the ripcord, like the ripcord on a a weed whacker. Mm. The way that we treat our, especially, it seems, male bodies. It's like, Wake up and wake the fuck up. Like get a Red Bull and you get a monster and you get some sugar and you get some meat and you like, let's get, get this thing producing. Yes. Please speak to that. Where, where, are, we, where are we blind? I, I want more of this deliciousness. 
it's it's funny. Well, my my lover happens to be sitting six feet away from me right now, and I Katie. <laughs> this is how you tell us. Wow, Katie, you've been going to New Mexico on weekends. <laughs> Katie. Um, <laughs> And so, um, at the at the risk of of embarrassing you, my love, mm-hmm. I would say that my husband has taught me more about that than I have taught him. Wow! And you know, he, there's something about about Gangadas that's just very uh, grounded and real. And um, he has always invited me in a sexual space to be with what is, mm-hmm. without any agenda. You know, we've oh. been together for. A quarter of a century, wow. and there it's still an adventure every single time of of just allowing ourselves to to find out because he's not in a right. Gangadas is this very languid kind of person. Anyway, he moves like a dancer through the world, mm-hmm. and and for, I can't believe we're talking about this. Is this okay, honey? <laughs> You can always do edit you, it out. Do you two want to high five? Yeah. <laughs> you guys earned a high five there. <laughs> That's that um he invites me every time to just allow it to be what it is without any kind of uh, end end game in mind. It's not a sport sporting event and there's no winners and losers. And so he's he's taught me about that, but that sounds more linear and like I learned something in the you know the Gangadas Mirabai College of of sexuality mm-hmm. it's it's about unlearning mm-hmm. every time mm-hmm. and I think that's why you know in our 60s and 70s we still have such a a rich intimate life together and mm-hmm. so if anyone listening if this helps anybody at all who's also in their 60s and 70s maybe um, the one of the ways that we're dismantling patriarchy is in the bed with each other mm. by being willing all the time to not know. That's what, mm. I guess that's what, for me, disengaging from the masculine-driven paradigm of this Western world mm. is about. It's about unknowing. And all the mystics mm-hmm. of all spiritual traditions, but especially the ones that I've translated, the Spanish mystics, mm. St. John of the Cross and... Saint Teresa of Avila. Yeah. I think that's their primary message: is about about disentangling and taking off all the garments that stand in the way of a naked, direct, intimate, er- erotic, in a way, encounter with the sacred. Yeah. I was gonna. It, I mean, we love what you wrote in in Wild Sex. I'm sorry, Wild Mercy <laughs> about um, Shabbat, about the Sabbath. Yeah, and we're not chosen. I like to think God chose us too. <laughs> We're not Jewish. Yes. Yep. You are chosen. <laughs> she chose you too. Oh, good. But we fully intend, especially when Leela's a little bit older, to do a Shabbat ceremony, hugely inspired by your book. Mm-hmm. And then I'm reading in The Wisdom Pattern, one of Richard's newer books. Actually, it's a republishing of an old book. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Who's at home going, that's not one of his newer books? <laughs> he writes about how right the Jewish faith was in taking it out of the temple and putting it in the house. And that is, I'd love to hear more about just mysticism in general, but also just taking God out of the holy structures Mm -hmm. and putting God in our body and Mm -hmm. having that intimate relationship where God is in your bread and in your wine and in your candles and in your family. But it's not, here's what I want you to talk to. God isn't up there. 
or elsewhere, but but God wants to commune with you in the way you just described. Mm. And Teresa of Avila, Santa Teresa, said that God lives among the pots and pans. Mm. And Teresa was a great Catholic saint. She I have was a, a lot of cheese stuck to my gut. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of old cheese. I got to scrape gotta off let my Lord. Soak. I got to soak the Lord tonight. I'll tell you. Oh. I know it doesn't do much, but I'm going to soak it overnight because I think it helps. <laughs> and I, I burn the fucker all the time because I go, go away and do other things while the food is cooking. <laughs> I can't. I just multitasking has never worked for That's me. So fun. <laughs> You know, I think that the um, bringing bringing the holy back to the kitchen is a is a beautiful example of mm. of embodiment. And yes, Judaism is good at that. In fact, the highest mitzvah, or I love the word mitzvah because it's this beautiful blend of of imperative or injunctions, the thing you should do, should do, and blessing. Mm. It's the same word, you know, the same word. It's wrapped in. Mm. And so the highest mitzvah in Judaism is to make love with your partner on Shabbat. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that says a lot about Judaism. It, it's true that when the great temple was destroyed the second time in Jerusalem and and Jews were, were exiled from the Holy Land, they had to bring the temple with them. Mm. And they had to recreate the, the holiest of all ceremonies wherever they were, you know. And it's why synagogues are really not, we don't have so much of an edifice complex in, mm-hmm. in Judaism as there has been with great cathedrals in, in Christianity. And by the way, I love me a great cathedral. Mm-hmm. I have seen cathedrals all over the world and I love them. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's something about sacred architecture that really does reflect the majesty of the unknowable holy mm-hmm. so I, i'm really not knocking it um but judaism i agree with richard that in some ways we got that bit right about bringing the the awesome majesty of the holy into the bread into the wine into sexuality into the body except for orth, extreme orthodox judaism is just like you know in extreme fundamentalist christianity very disengaged from the body but on the whole judaism is very much about everything is holy chayim lachayim it's all you know welcoming life money that's why money is not you know a, a dirty word it's mm. it's just part of the celebration god made the world and it was good and it was very good mm. Um, so ideally, you know, these things are all ideals, just like Hinduism, you know, mm-hmm. but, but in, in practice, sometimes religion is, um, skewed to meet the, the needs of the, those who are in control and in power and to, mm-hmm. to reinforce that. Um, so bringing it home to the body is, is the continual invitation I think that we have right now. And it's a very feminine space to me mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. that the cooking and the eating and the serving and the sharing and the lovemaking is all where the Holy one dwell, breaks through that transcendent kind of unknowable space and enters into everything that is. And they're both true. I guess that's what I want to say. Yeah. There is that, awesome, transcendent unknowability that is what Rudolf Otto, the great mystical theologian, called 
holy other, a W H O L L Y, completely anything other than we could possibly conceive of. Mm. And also in this relationship, in this delicious cup of tea that, that Valerie just served mm. us um, in, you know, in all the ways that we connect and dance and, mm. and hold life in our bodies. And mm. I'm waxing on. Let's Mm, I love a good beautiful. wax. We're surfboards, man. <laughs> we need up. the wax. Wax it up. I'm hearing the rain, and you're talking. Like, I know. Sometimes it's I forget so I have lovely. to host the podcast. And I know it's yeah, so really nice. <laughs> <laughs> sort of like it's, grooving. I feel the same way. I'm oh. so. I feel so melty when you talk. It's so beautiful. It's gorgeous. <laughs> well, I, I. Oh, did you have something? Because I just a cough. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to interrupt your cough. No, it, it was done. <laughs> um, I really, you know, we've a couple times started to talk about how we had similar psychedelic experiences and the after effects. Um, and then and then we started to talk about it last night too. And we were like, I, let's save this for the podcast because I do think it doesn't get talked about that often. And I think it's pretty relatable and what just to wedge in a segue now what made me think of it is um you know seeing the holy on this plane and since having my bad psychedelic experience when i i've kind of i don't know i'll never say never but i i i feel way more interested in kissing this ground and staying in this plane and um and really feeling very tethered to this reality and, and trying to um, find God and everything, you know, on this plane and with this, this brain. <laughs> um, and so, and I've, I've heard you kind of referring to that as why you maybe don't do psychedelics as much anymore or at all. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of the clunky segue, but I would love if you would talk about your experience and how you're feeling about it now and anything you have to say about it. Can I add to that just to put a little garnish on it? Doing the Ram Dass thing, it is so funny how we're sort of crossbreeding like psychedelic culture with Ram Dass, which is fine as a marketing play. That's an interesting play, but I'm sitting with Val and they're like, they're showing like a visualization of a trip and Val has trauma. For trip, uh, for trip, for trips, <laughs> trips are trip for kids. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, you know, and I'm watching it. What I said when I got on stage was like, psychedelic images without psychedelic feelings aren't always welcome. Like, I don't necessarily need to see like a endlessly repeating fractal. It's not exactly my most grounded feeling, unless it's accompanied with like feelings of waves of ecstasy that are tied to the images like music. Mm-hmm. It's like you're reading the sheet music, but it's what's happening inside of you. It's like your soul looks and feels like that. But mm-hmm. the images alone can be sort of scary, to be honest. Like if it was a horror movie and the bad guy touched you and that's what you saw, that would be a scary villain. Mm -hmm. So anyway, this is more than garnish. I'm just trying to say for someone who just listens to Ram Dass or listens to you or, or even listens to us talk and is like, wow, I love living spirit. And then we go like, we also love MDMA. Like that might not be the coolest thing Mm -hmm. to someone who's just like, I like walking in nature or I like swimming or I feel God when I look at the clouds. Maybe drug culture isn't for them. Is that sort of where we're headed? Mm, Yeah. I just wanted to add that. That's a good garnish. Good garn. (laughs) 
It's very interesting to me that there's this resurgence of, of interest in psychedelics. You know, mm. our friend Brian wrote that book about the origins of Christianity and the connection with mm. hallucinogenics. I've spent a lot of time in the Yucatan Peninsula of Mexico where the the Maya the Maya people, uh, the ancient Mayans, undoubtedly the, the priest class ingested uh, plant medicines to give their ceremonial download from from the gods to the people mm. <clears throat> and and um in the 60s there was the 60s and 70s because my parents were active in the in the counterculture movement of the more of the 70s and the 60s mm. it psychedelics were at the core and then they kind of faded away sort of at least from from view and mm. now they're kind of rising back up we're looking at the use of psychedelics with people at the end of life mm-hmm. and how it helps with people who are dying i work a lot mm-hmm. with the dying and and I can certainly see the value of opening those portals uh, mm. for people at certain phases of their life. And like you, Valerie, yes, I did have a traumatic hallucinogenic experience very young. I was only 13 mm. and it was an acid was slipped to me at a party in a commune in the mountains of New Mexico, which was very common. Mm. And other kids my age seemed to be, you know, enjoying it. But I... It was um, it was terrifying, and for mm. many years, I had flashbacks where I would just mm. at the drop of a hat enter into a. Mm. I almost said psychotic state because there's a fine line mm. psychedelic state, mm-hmm. and I still do. And I, and I came to and I'm I just turned sixty. I've come to realize that there's something about my brain, my soul too, maybe mm-hmm. that that those two are separate. I think their souls and brains are <laughs> completely interconnected. Mm. That hasn't an inclination to go into um, altered states. But because it was such a terrifying experience and I had so many, it, for so many years I I suffered from the these terrifying dissociative mm-hmm. experiences, I avoided psychedelics, even smoking pot. I wouldn't even smoke pot. Mm-hmm. A glass of wine with dinner. That's, you know, that's mm-hmm. my drug use. Mm-hmm. But in, in my late 20s, early 30s, I did a few times do LSD and... Um, and ecstasy mm-hmm. to see if I could face my demons. Mm-hmm. And you know what? It was fine, mm-hmm. even sweet. You know, being in, I did it in the red, I did acid in the redwoods. Mm-hmm. Um, I did MDMA with people I loved. But at the end of the day, it was just what you said. It was mm-hmm. just like, yeah, but I love my regular life. Mm-hmm. I love my brain mm-hmm. and my relationships. As they are. Yeah. There's something about the raw, real, unaltered um, food of my life that yeah. is much more interesting to me. Mm. Mm. Oh, I'm feeling so emotional because it really is. I just had never, I hadn't come across somebody who felt that the same way. And mm. I bet there are a lot of people who I relate to us. Are. Yes. That's why I really wanted to get that out there in case, you know, especially just in this moment and how it does get intertwined with the spiritual practice and, and just the, you know, one of the, the harsh stories that I would tell myself is like, I'm not being brave enough. I should face this. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to get the like, I'm not going to get the cookie because I'm not willing to just like, you know, face this and be, you know, a warrior and go through it. And, and 
and even as I say that, of course, now I'm, I really don't feel like that's true. That just wasn't what was was the um, the part of the elephant that I meant to touch, you know. Um, but it's so it's such a gift to to have found you and um, and just to see how it can go because I do. I also still slip into, you know, my understanding of it is more of like this. Um, like a PTSD experience. My this the thing that was scary about my experience was this feeling of oh no, I'm all alone in here. And Pete was trying to comfort me and it wasn't helping, so I just really felt like I'm completely alone in the darkness and nothing anybody does can get to me. And if I'm understanding that from now what I've I've done so much trauma therapy since then, um, and what I understand about that now is from a trauma perspective, which I think there's a trauma perspective, there's a, you know, an, a brain neuro- neurological ex- uh, perspective, there's a spiritual perspective. But from the trauma one, it's um, it really f- makes sense that when you're flooded, your receptors close. So you're it's protective. So they're not letting in anything else, including someone's you know, loving touch sometimes. And, and you can, there's a window where you can catch it before you get that flooded. But, um, but at the time, I just thought I was never going to be able to, I was never going to come back. And I really did feel like I had lost my mind and that I was gone. And oh, it was so, so scary. Poor, poor Valerie, poor poor Mirabai 13. It's so, so much. Um, our joke was it was like, like a month after our wedding or something. It wasn't that long after we had gotten married. And my vow to Valerie in front of everybody, like her family obviously is there. And I'm like, I vow to keep Valerie Valerie. Like my jo- It was sort of like sweet. It's like, I love Valerie. I, I'm not here to do anything except just kind of like help and keep Valerie Valerie because I think mm-hmm. she's great. And I'm like, here, take these drugs. And she's like, bye, Valerie. Like, <laughs> like it was like the worst later. thing. Wow. It was like the opposite of the vow. Obviously, that wasn't what anybody thought was going to happen but you're like i don't think i'm going to come back and i'm like should have vowed to uh, i don't know hold the door open for you or something small it was one of the first laughs that i had kind of coming out of because it was the experience was bad but then it was that the weeks following i was still i still felt like i was on the psychedelics even though i wasn't so that's what was really scary and there was one of the first laughs I had after was Pete saying that. And then he was like, cut to our wedding, like a footage of our wedding in black and white. And it's like, I vow to keep Valerie, Valerie yeah. in slow motion clapping. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it was, it really was like a holy laugh because it was like the first time I remember being like, okay, so I can laugh. That's coming back, you know, mm. but boy, it just, it, it really it was so much and I still, that was four years ago. And I, um, I, like I said, I know so much about it, but now there's, you know, there's a, there's a feeling that it's like my brain has that groove. And I, if I feel any sort of kind of, um, anxiety or fear, my brain automatically will be like, is it the, is it the big scary? Is it the, you know, the really big scary feeling? And then my body does what it it does best, which is work on a better safe than sorry um, mode and is like, all right, sound the alarms. I guess the scary thing's happening. 
And I know so much now about like, now I, then I can, I just, what I'd say to my brain is, oh, it's okay. You don't have to look for it. It's okay. And then I can calm my body down and, but I'm still really practicing that. That's like very alive in my daily life even. Yeah, it's been it's been so recent. Yeah. You know, my in my experience, Valerie, and, and any of you who are, you know, experiencing the these kinds of dissociative states, flashbacks, whatever it may be, is it does integrate mm. over time. It's only been four years, you know, for me it's been forty years. Yeah. And even though it does occasionally flare up, it's it's almost like an old friend now when it does because mm. I've had many more experiences of being okay mm. than of not being okay. Mm. But I yeah. think that one of the things you said that's really essential here is that feeling of being alone mm-hmm. and maybe even being the only one. Even mm. if intellectually we know we're not the only one who's ever had a difficult psychedelic trip and, and accompanying flashbacks and dissociative experiences, yeah. the, the subjective experiences of being the only one, of being alone. Yeah. And <clears throat> I think that the way of the feminine Mm-hmm. is remembering that we belong to each other, like really remembering it, feeling it in our bodies, mm. having it reflected in each other. And and the the patriarchy has kept us all in separate little isolated silos of of the human experience. And it's mm. and that is artificial. That's fake. That's not the way it is. Mm. You know, and I think that the two most traumatic experiences of my life, I felt completely like I was the only one who had ever experienced them. The yeah. first one was being sexually abused by my spiritual teacher when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. And I was sure that no other person had ever experienced such a thing. Yeah. You know, the love I felt for him, the the need I had for him, that, mm-hmm. and the way that I was so special to him mm-hmm. and nobody else could ever relate. Mm-hmm. And yet, because he wasn't stupid... He kept it top secret. I was a teenager and he was yeah. in his 40s. Wow. And um, and so, you know, he gave me some kind of cosmic explanation for why it had to be secret. But mm-hmm. we now all understand why mm-hmm. he kept it a secret. Mm-hmm. And so that contributed to my feeling of specialness and uniqueness. And nobody could possibly understand the magnitude of our love and mm-hmm. and all of that. And the second one was the psychedelic um, state that kept mm-hmm. washing over me and obliterating mm-hmm. my my ability to kind of function Mm. in this world. And in both cases, I knew I was the only one who had ever experienced either of these things. And if I could offer one service to other women, other young women, Mm. but just humans, it would be, you're not alone. Any, your version of the human experience is the quintessence of the human experience. And we all share it. Mm, and yeah. and it's like the curse of special if i could lift the curse of specialness yeah. for people i'm a four in the enneagram so That's, i get it means a lot it, yeah being special <laughs> is like my thing <laughs> it's it's my deep core shadow desire but it's mm. it's so important to know the ways in which we're not special yes yes it's and we're back to gift. where we started which is the more specific you are the more broad you are so mm. you're like a spiritual teacher abused me and then i have to imagine lo and behold that's happened to unfortunately lots of people and they probably were very healed by you sharing that story Mm -hmm. or lots of power dynamics i mean Mm -hmm. is that how you look at that event that it was like a abusive power yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. definitely it was an abusive power i mean primarily obviously i I guess it was embarrassing that's so obvious but i'm like primarily it was it wasn't like we were 
you were manipulated by somebody that was, I'd just like for you to speak to that Mm. part of it. Well, um, yes, there was definitely the power differential. He was much older. He was in the position of being my self-appointed spiritual teacher. He was not a known teacher in the, on the circuit. Mm. In fact, nobody took him seriously. And I, in fact, thought he was a joke. But then I, ca- I convinced myself because he convinced me that he's just an iconoclastic, unusual spiritual teacher. And that's mm. why he's not recognized mm. you know, in the world. Um, but it was a definite abuse of power. But there was always a voice in me that knew. Yeah. the truth. Mm-hmm. And so people have asked me, because I was with him for 17 years, from 15 to, um, to well, 16 years to 30, eh, 14 to 31. Mm-hmm. Um, people have asked me, how how is it that you were able to just like get, finally extricate yourself from this? Because he brainwashed me and convinced me that the whole fabric of the cosmos was hinged together Mm. by our secret love you know Mm. so the conditioning against leaving him was Mm. fierce Mm. and and i met him at a very vulnerable time in my life where i had just lost my first love my teenage boyfriend Mm. in a in a gun accident and my father was an alcoholic my stepfather was an alcoholic Mm. it was you know not an easy path and so he provided some kind of something i was very vulnerable But I think the reason that at 31, I was able to extricate myself and step into life Mm. and into a kind of fullness of life is because something in me knew all along. You know, so anyone who is listening, who is mired in some kind of situation that you know or you feel is is not right, but you have this deep-seated attachment to it for whatever reason, Mm. to just trust yourself. You yeah. know, as as you say, Pete, and mm. it, to trust yourself that there is a wisdom in you, an mm. innate knowing, a self-love that just lives in you, that is alive and well, mm. and that when you're ready, you will be able to step, I'm not going to say step away from this entangling mess that you might be mired in right now, mm. but you'll be, be able to step into the fullness of your life. Mm. whole and well yes you might need some some therapy some trauma mm. work some somatic work mm. for sure we we have all kinds of tools to, to mend our broken spirit bones yeah. we should use them and you'll probably be okay if you're listening to this podcast it's already a sign that you are on, you are on the journey to wholeness and you will step step mm. back into your life Mm. It's so beautiful. It's interesting. There, I just know there are so many people that are in. It's not what what was happening with you. Obviously, this was like a horrible, abusive atrocity, and they're way down the spectrum. There are just people that are in relationships where they're not being seen. What yes. I'm hearing you say, because I, I had a relationship like that, it wasn't out of bounds or abusive in any overt way, but it was just like on the other side of it was like life <laughs> like mm-hmm. i didn't know it was like yeah. it's like walking through a door and i suddenly you could smell the rain again you know mm-hmm. you're just like oh my god where have i been mm-hmm. so even if it's not severe everybody is welcome to that advice that there and there was part of me that that knew yeah. isn't that interesting again just on a very basic level i was like this is it right <laughs> and, yeah. and, but like i needed permission i was i was going around looking for someone to give me permission what what finally clicked that you were like no like the the moment that you were like this is enough 
mm-hmm. that the voice got loud enough that you couldn't ignore it or at falling in love with someone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what did it. And that other person wasn't available on the other side as it turned out, you know, mm-hmm. I, I burned down my life and, um, and then he was gone too, but it was, it was a great blessing to, mm-hmm. to just have, have any fire that could uh, ignite that false structure that mm. I had Im- in which I had imprisoned <laughs> myself. Mm. Mm. But you know, R- Richard, our beloved Richard Rohr, talks about the two things that that create change and evolution and um, awakening: our great love and great mm. suffering. Yes, and I I think that that is you know certainly been true for me that death has been a great uh, teacher and and blesser and and portal Mm -hmm. in my life i was just thinking about when we're talking about judaism and how we judaism brings everything back into the kitchen in a way Mm -hmm. you know the holy it it's good at that the other thing it's very good at is um and i say this as you know judaism is my ancestral tradition although my parents completely rejected it but it's also really good with death Mm -hmm. judaism and tibetan buddhism are the two spiritual traditions I know that say yes to death, that welcome mm. death as a teacher, as a holy, a holy state, a sacred state, and keep it uh, real. Mm. You know, speak about the those who we love, who have died, in, in such a way that it keeps their memories alive. May may their memory be a blessing, is what you say when someone mm. someone dies in Judaism, and that's very. That's a very grounded thing to say because it, it's literally true. We don't know about heaven and hell. We don't know about the afterlife in Judaism. All we know is trying to make this world as beautiful and meaningful as it can be. That's why in the high holy days, in the fall, we do a lot of, you know, in the 12-step program, it's making amends. It's yeah. a, it, We do it once a year, you know, but it's, it's a very sacred thing to... M- Make things right with your community, with your loved mm-hmm. ones. A lot of us like to now include the earth herself mm-hmm. as another prominent relationship that we have to kind of not make amends with in the sense that we fucked up and we need to now fix it. But let's realign mm-hmm. ourselves with what matters. The, the word is teshuva, to, to kind of return to, to mm-hmm. right relationship because mm-hmm. that's where we know God. We don't know the unknowable God, but we do know God in each other, in these, in community, and and in our relationship with the planet that sustains us. Mm. I think I deviated from your question, Pete. I don't. I didn't. So know glad I you asked did. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember. I loved it so much. I think that's so beautiful. Yeah. That's yeah. Great. Um, I did have another place to go, but what do you, you got, Mama? No, you go. You go. Well, I wanted to talk a little bit. Where did Ramdas come in? Where we have this block of fifteen to thirty-one. Where was Ramdas before? Mm, yeah. Right. So I met Ramdas when I was thirteen or fourteen. There's some that, that I'm a, a spring baby, so that's spring summer of thirteen to fourteen. Mm. And um, 
at Lama Foundation, which is where Be Here Now was created, his iconic book. Mm. Um, for those of you who don't know, Be Here Now, please run out and get familiar with it. Because yeah. it's, it's really the book that introduced in many ways Eastern um, spirituality to a, a Western, particularly American audience in Ram Dass's extraordinary gift for translating these ancient Dharmic systems to relatable contemporary English. Um, that was that was his superpower. And he, he changed sort of the course of, of cultural history, I think, with that book. So it was created at Lama Foundation, which is this community up in the mountains of northern New Mexico where my family lived and still does. And my family is in Taos. Lama is about 25 miles away, way up in the mountains. And that's where the community created this strange product that is now called Be Here Now that were these brown pages with rubber stamped um, expressions of the path that really all came were extracted from talks that Ramdas gave when he came back from India after meeting his guru and mine, <laughs> Neem Guruli Baba. And so I was a young kid. I, I, Yes, I think it was right after Philip died, my first love, as I mentioned earlier. So I was very vulnerable. Mm. And I was, and I had had the acid experience maybe a year before that. Mm. So I was super vulnerable. But I had this deep soul hunger, even at that young age, mm. for for spiritual awakening. Mm. Like I, I was 14 at that time. I was pretty sure I'd be enlightened by 16 because <laughs> I was having all of these magical soul experiences well, and it seemed well, like, like that's what? where we were going what do you mean well it was probably related to the to the acid flashbacks i i see now but these altered states where i where my sense of a separate self were would dissolve mm. and i couldn't find my boundary and i would just kind of merge into um what is, and I happen to be living up in the mountains where, you know, among ponderosa pines and aspen forests and vast blue skies and mesas, like the, the, the mesa land of New Mexico is like an ocean. You know? It's very easy in many ways to go into these, these kind of spaces of, of merging with nature. So that was one of my, one of the spiritual experiences I would have. But Ramdas was coming to Lama in those days in the summers to teach. Mm -hmm. And I was uh, appointed as his kind of personal attendant. Mm. So I would bring him his breakfast and I would prepare the dome, the great geodesic dome at Lama where hundreds of thousands of hours of spiritual teachings and teachers from all over the world have, have met and offered mm -hmm. their, their Dharma and um, I would prepare the stage for Ramdas, which was just a little part of the dome where his, you know, his rug and his zafu and his pictures of Maharaji and the incense and the candle. And, mm -hmm. you know, that was, that was, what do you call it in show business? That person who runs around and does all that. Stage manager. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Oh, except that's way too exalted for what I was. So but one <laughs> yeah. of the things that I'm remembering as I'm talking about this is that I was only fucking 14, 15, 16, <laughs> and I was working on eradicating the ego because mm -hmm. that's talk about the patriarchy that's what all these spiritual traditions were encouraging us to do but i hadn't even developed right. an ego right. so that explains why 
I'm the way I am. Mm. I, you know, it's just a lot of a lot of mixed messages. Like my own developmental realities were colliding with these ideas of what it meant to be spiritual. Well, you have to be somebody before you can be nobody. Is that wrong, I Justin? think I think that is really true and you need it to develop a robust ego before you can go about the business of dismantling it mm-hmm. and that's why people who are mentally ill and mentally imbalanced often really get lost in in these spiritual communities mm. because they don't have a, ro- a robust framework to to rest in and they're encouraged to enter into these states of non-duality mm. that are um, the, probably count, what do they call it in, in medicine, contraindicated mm. for their mental states where they really need to be supported and and mm. uh, boosted and grounded. Mm. And remember your zip code. And remember your zip code. So yeah. that, un, that lack of groundedness was... But Ramdas was always very grounded. So I so I met him then that that mm. summer, and then I the next summer I went off and followed him to New York City, uh, where I happened to have been born, but but where you know my family had left when I was when I was ten years old, mm. and to follow this teacher, Majaya Sati Bhagavati. My husband Gangadas was there too at the same time, but we didn't know each other. Wow. Yeah, he's twelve years older, and so he was in his twenties, and I was in my teens. Mm. Um, but it was this whole scene, and it quickly fell apart, and I ended up going back to New Mexico, and then moving on with my life, and kind of losing track of Ramdas for a few years, a few decades. And then when I was in my thirties, after I'd left my my marriage, the Hanuman Temple in Taos is the Neem Kroli Baba Ashram in America. Mm. It's this beautiful, sacred wonderful space when I took you there Pete mm-hmm. so you remember it and um and that's that's where I met my husband now Gangadas 26 or 7 years ago and that's where I reconnected with Ramdas oh, in my wow. 30s and ended up both being on the board of the ashram there and, and very small board so we really worked closely together for many years and mm-hmm. then he started asking me to step into a kind of legacy situation of leading retreats and Mm. and, or teaching at retreats leading retreats in Ojai teaching at retreats other places with him without him in his lineage and that's when I recognized that my entire spiritual formation was Ramda shaped Mm. in many ways and so even though I'm talking about dismantling the patriarchy and he was another white dude who was very much a product of that masculine paradigm, he also was a very feminine mm-hmm. being mm-hmm. and taught me about the Divine Mother almost more than anyone else. Yeah. What did you say yesterday, Ramdas Ma? Or right. Yeah. Yeah. Ma Ramdas or Ramdas Ma. Ma. Ramdas. Mm. What <laughs> resonated that. about, I mean, I know, I feel like I know, but I want to hear, what, what did you like about him? What did, what did he put language to for you? Mm, okay, so one of the maybe the main things is because Ramdas was also trained as an academic and was a scholar of world religions, um, which I was too later, much later. I you know when I my early spiritual formation was non-academic, but then later I ended up studying world religions. There he drew on all of these different wisdom streams. 
Hinduism, Buddhism, all the different flavors of Buddhism, mystical Judaism, Christian mysticism, Sufism, indigenous traditions insofar as there was permission Mm. to engage with those native traditions effortlessly. And, and it all blended, you know, he, he, he um, blurbed one of my books. Well, he uh, blurbed a couple of them, but one blurbing, for those of you who don't know the industry, mm-hmm. were endorsed it. And and in for God of Love, my book God of Love, he said something about all of the streams, the confluence of all the streams in the ocean of love. Mm-hmm. That's what he taught me. That's what I resonated with. Mm-hmm. Like my soul says a big juicy yes to the core wisdom at the heart of all the world's great spiritual traditions. I have never seen any conflict between them. Mm. And yes, I have a natural kind of soul inclination to that, that big yes. But I think Ramdas also modeled it for me. Mm-hmm. And, and I know that that came from Maharaji and it's when I, when I went to India, I noticed that's very Indian too, that yeah. there's this, this deep love and respect for all the world's great wisdom traditions. Mm-hmm. It's not just Hinduism or just Islam. Mm-hmm. It, it's all, um, if it's about loving God, it's mm-hmm. yes. So I think yeah. that's one of the, the big things. And the other one is, of course, just welcoming my own humanity mm-hmm. to the table of awakening. Which is yeah. what Ramdas did so well. He did. Yeah. Yeah. And he was funny like you. <laughs> <laughs> She's looking at me. It's a podcast. <laughs> Val is also quite funny. Um, <laughs> you are very funny. It's interesting. When what is the perennial tradition ish? Like when we're looking at all of these things, what what do they have in common? You know? I, I know you've taught love a lot of these things. Mm. And what do we what do we mean by love? <laughs> That gushy sentimental feeling. No. Um, <laughs> although that's part of it. Yeah. Um, okay, here's what I, f- what I mean by love that I hope is what those of us who embrace the perennial wisdom traditions mean. Um, is, is that which transcends our intellectual concepts and our belief systems. Mm. Love is about uh, dismantling knowing and intentionally dropping in to radical not knowing to the mystery mm-hmm. and trusting that that God dwells in in the mystery in the um, the nakedness mm-hmm. of, of reality so that it's that beautiful paradox we've been talking a lot about paradox without calling it that mm-hmm. of you know, the non-dual and the devotional of the transcendent and the eminent of the masculine and the feminine. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, that kind of love that I find at the heart of all these great wisdom traditions is this paradoxical knowing by unknowing, um, nakedness that is also found in the, in the abundant, bountiful, ways that reality expresses itself mm. so it both transcends all that we can imagine and experience and lives within every particle of our of our human experience yeah. oh wow it's it's <laughs> it's so much more than this and it's also this too. yes yeah, yeah. I love that so right much. Mm-hmm. would you speak a little bit about um well i do want to ask 
Well, there are a couple things I want to ask. <laughs> I'll just ask all of them and you can pick one. I was looking for like a Ramdas story, a story that felt like a moment that you and he shared. I was also wondering more about um, pain and, and the great love and great suffering being the teachers. I think yeah. that's a big thing to unpack yeah. because we all get those. But like being able to read that language, it can be difficult mm-hmm. to interpret it. Mm-hmm. And the third one was, can you tell me something that happened to you that you can't? That made absolutely no sense. Maybe you saw a ghost or maybe you left your body or something. The juicy stuff, the clickbait. Give me the clickbait. I'm just kidding. I just like those questions. I don't blame you. I like them too. Um, so a Ramdas story. It's funny. I This was a, a private story for a long time, but this is what arises for me as you're asking. And that is, um, I had this great like revelation about, I don't know, five or six years ago uh, that I've already said on this podcast, which is that I recognized that everything that I do in the world and that I, I kind of, all my spiritual orientation was formed by Ramdas. Mm-hmm. Even the way I teach, you know, drawing on all the world's different spiritual traditions, kind of a little bit of Taoism here and some Christian mysticism there. And it, and in any given moment, I will find a truth that helps me to teach mm. from one of the world's religions. And, and Ramdas did that too. And I use poetry and I use scripture as, as he did. Uh, that's one of the things that I've noticed. Mm. Humor is, is, uh, and self-deprecating humor especially mm-hmm. is one of the ways that I teach. Mm-hmm. I learned that from Ramdas. Well, somebody asked you yesterday, what would you tell young Mirabai? And you got a big laugh by saying, don't take it so fucking seriously. Yeah. And everybody just sort of collectively slumped a little bit. It's such oh, great higher self to your current self advice. Right, yeah. right. And I think he gave... What are you doing? Gave, what are you doing? Yeah, sorry. He gave me the permission to yeah. just not take it so seriously and especially take myself seriously as a teacher. You know, I've been hurt by teachers. I have been Mm -hmm. betrayed by teachers. I am not going to be one of those teachers Mm -hmm. if I can Mm -hmm. possibly help it. And every time people try to elevate me, Mm -hmm. I just, I just saw the legs off of that pedestal because partly because I know that I'm going to fall anyway Mm -hmm. and break into a lot of pieces and it hurts Mm -hmm. for me. It's painful for me. So I'd like to avoid it right at the get go if we can. Mm -hmm. But once I realized all the ways that, that Ramdas influenced and shaped the way I am as a teacher, um, as a writer, as a, as a human being, I had to share it with him. Mm -hmm. So we were with him in Hawaii and, you know, he, we'd go to the beach on Mondays, mm-hmm. Monday swim day. Did you do that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, is there anything happier than a Ramdas being rolled onto the beach? Oh my, <laughs> oh my God. Gosh. And then bouncing in the waves. Oh. Just the- I'm so happy that's documented in go. Is it? No, it's which one is it? It's called going home. Yeah. It is go- mm-hmm. going home that that moment is documented and it's done so beautifully because that is such a, reference for joy if i'm trying to elicit the feeling of joy in my body that's Mm -hmm. such a perfect image well and because ramdas after the stroke you know he lived for 23 years in in his stroked body as he said (laughs) he was in pain all the time yeah ramdas lived in pain all the time and he didn't complain i mean really even to his 
his caretakers. Mm. He just opted not to do that. And mm. but when he was in the water, it was a relief. Mm. It was it was so mm. important to him mm. to be mm. in the water. Mm. So it really was a joyful space. Mm-hmm. So it was after swim, and Ramdas would take whoever was there out. This was in the date, and this might have been longer ago than five or six years. Um, it was in the days when not many people did know about the beach day. So there were enough of us that we could all gather around a table for lunch. And I was, Ramesh Radas said, you know, I had just told him that that revelation about how much I felt like everything I do, especially as a teacher, was shaped by Ramdas. And he said, you should share that with him. So I did at lunch, and I felt really awkward. Mm-hmm. And because there were a lot of people there, and they were listening, and Ramdas was kind of like, you know, nodding. And I just felt um, theatrical and, and awkward. And so mm-hmm. I just reeled it back in and wished I hadn't said it out loud in front of all those people, but that was my chance to tell him. Yeah. And I was like yelling it across the table. <laughs> I think all three of us have done that. Yeah. It's uh-huh. like, this is our chance. Ramdas, there's like 10 people eating corn. Yeah. I'm like, oh, here we go. I guess ex- this is when it has to happen. Yeah. That's exactly what I was picturing when I imagined telling you this. But it's like yeah. a marriage proposal and the mariachi <laughs> band comes over. You're like, not now, not now. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Because that's even more awkward. Yeah. Mm. And so um, later we went to his house to do kirtan. There was a kirtan. And one of my little secrets is I love leading kirtan. Yes, because I love singing. And so, but I don't do it very openly. I don't play the harmonium well or anything. So I, someone handed me the harmonium and I played for Ramdas a a Shiva chant. Mm. And, and I didn't look at him. And when I looked up after I was finished, he was crying. Of course, Ramdas wept at the drop of a hat. So it's not that big a deal, but he was just weeping. It was mm-hmm. like, you know, because I always had this kind of avuncular relationship with him. He was like my uncle because he's the same age as my parents, part of the same kind of Jewish counterculture. Yeah. I, you know, he felt like family to me and he treated me like mm-hmm. a fond niece. You know, I wasn't one of his inner circle buddies, but I was always like this this beloved niece and he like, he was proud of my accomplishments, you know, books mm-hmm. and whatever. So, um, after he wept during the kirtan, later um, he called me over to him and he said, <laughs> he said, I've never had teachers. I was like, what? You know, because I happen to know all the teachers that Ramdas had. Mm-hmm. And he said, you're the first one. And then I realized what he was saying, you know, Ramdas had aphasia and it was difficult for him to speak. Mm-hmm. You're the first one who's teaching my teachings. Oh. And this was in the early days when we were starting these Ohi retreats, these legacy retreats while he was still alive. He used to say, I'm not dead yet. You know, like you're talk- <laughs> calling it a legacy. That isn't that what you say when someone's <laughs> gone. But um, I, I taught the first Ramdas legacy retreat because it came out of, out of that conversation. I guess wow. you know, he, he had said something to someone. And now I, I really take that seriously. And mm. right before he died, I was finally able to say, see, because Pete and Valerie, in our satsang, our spiritual community, Ramdas wasn't the teacher. He was the elder brother. He was the guru brother mm. who brought us all to Maharaji, um, but was one of us. And so that's the kind of ethic of our community that I grew up with. Yeah. And so it was only literally months before he died when he had one of his several near deaths, <clears throat> near misses, mm-hmm. <laughs> what he called his dress rehearsals for mm-hmm. death. And I realized he really was going to die very soon. That I, Gangras was with me. 
I woke up in the morning. It was night when we didn't think he'd make it through the night. And he was in Hawaii and I was in New Mexico. And I woke up and I cried and I just, I knew he'd made it through the night, but I was just, just the thought of losing him was more than I could bear in that moment. Mm -hmm. And that's when I said, fuck it. Yes, he is my teacher. I acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. And it felt so good to just admit that Ramdas is my teacher. He's the, he was the greatest teacher of my life, the most influential teacher. Was he perfect? No. Did he pretend to be? Thank God he did not. Mm-hmm. But he was my teacher and he gave me his legacy and I am carrying it to the best of my ability. Mm-hmm. Yes. I love that. That's beautiful. You had a similar kind of experience where I think it was Nick Turn that was just like, He's your guru. Just say it. Oh, yeah. He's your guru. Yeah. I think the term is upaguru. Is that, that a thing? Right. Upaguru. I mean, right. Which isn't your sat guru. It isn't the yeah. ultimate, but it's one yeah. of the significant teachers on your path. Right. Yeah. That's right. Because he's the one that would say, I'm not a, a guru. Yes. yes. Thank yep. God. I'm right. so glad he said that. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly what you want him to say. <laughs> you actually kind of want that on the record because who knows where this stuff will be, you know. If we're all still around, not to be dark, but in fifty years, what where will this be as a as a religion? Will it be like a he's your guru? It's very tempting. I wanted him to be my guru. Mm-hmm. I wanted that because I felt so much love for him. Mm-hmm. And you said like an uncle, he felt like a father to me. Mm-hmm. There was like a father energy. I actually you did remind me. You said, "Oh, Ramdas cried at everything." I have I have issue with a couple things you tried to despecial. One was you're like <laughs> when I was fourteen, I was having these experiences of oneness, it was probably the acid. I'm like, a lot of people take acid, Mirabai. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's true, and they don't. It was engaging with, with you and, mm-hmm. and your openness. So that was that was special. Yes, yeah. And I know we're both special addicts, but I just want to give it, it's nice to <laughs> share it. And also, Thank you, having Ramdas cry, my story is the last time I saw Ramdas, I, I, there wasn't much to say. I actually was embarrassed because I didn't think he was going to say what do you want to talk about? But the second retreat, they warned me that he was pretty, you know, on his way out. But you can just hang out. And I was like, that's all I want to do anyway. Mm. And I'm trying to be a special boy because in all of his lectures, he's like, we have to talk because we're not ready to be quiet yet. And I was like, and you say you, you speak silence and all that stuff. And I was like, well, I'm a golden boy and I'm ready to just be quiet with you. And that's also, that's part of it. But it's also just what I wanted to do. I just like being with people that feel like space heaters, you know what I mean? And you're just like, this is so nice. And I'm not thinking about anything else. I'm just hanging out with you. But then on like the third day of that, um, oh, the first thing he said when he sat down, he goes, any questions? And I'm like, what? (laughs) I don't, I didn't know I should have prepared a question. And I think I said no. And then the third day I sang for him and I sang in a way that he, would sing in some of his lectures. It was a certain melody of uh, Jiram Jiram that he had taught me. So here I'm singing it to him. And then as I'm doing it, I'm like, boy, I hope this isn't too infantilizing because I'm singing. It's how I sing to Leela too. It's the same melody that I would sing to Leela. Mm-hmm. And I'm singing it and it's very sweet. I was really enjoying it. And I was like, <laughs> I don't know if he's enjoying this. Like, I just didn't know. Mm-hmm. I wasn't sure. And I'm not like a kirtan leader. It's not normally what I'm doing. So I felt vulnerable, but not bad. I felt totally safe. But, it, you know, it's a song that ends when you decide it ends. <laughs> it's a chant. <laughs> so I was like, I think that's about enough. And he doesn't say anything. He, not in a bad way. But to your point, 
He's not crying. He's not like, thank you for that. That was really special. He's just sort of sitting there, kind of hanging out. And I go, tell me if this isn't Jewish humor, like specifically Ram Dass's kind of Jewish flavor humor. As I go, that's how I, I don't know what to say. And I go, that's actually, uh, that's how I sing to my daughter, my baby daughter. And he goes, I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm telling you that I can tell had a little go fuck yourself, but like not a bad go fuck yourself, like a friendly, like friends, like brothers, yeah. like, yeah. like, like people who love each other. We just like, no shit. Is what it felt like. He's like, you just had a nice little moment. <laughs> that was for you. That was for you. And you know what? It probably was for me. Or or at the very least, it was just uh, like telling a joke to be like, we don't have to be so holy while we're here you know i do think yes we don't have to take it so seriously and that the flavor of that visit in general was like let's not try and be the my first retreat my second retreat the second retreat i at one point i drove off and got ice cream like not just that time that i got it for him Uh i went off and got myself ice cream Mm -hmm. oh my god i don't think i've told anybody this at one point because we had the baby so I was oh, wrecked. Yeah, I remember that. I drove to the to a hotel, to a resort, and got a massage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because that was, I was over it. The yeah. first one was, don't jerk off, don't jerk off, be holy, be holy, be holy. Mm-hmm. Don't even think bad things. The second time was like, I haven't slept this eight hours in straight in a long time. I'm going to go get a massage. I really need a massage. Mm-hmm. And it felt just as holy. Yeah. We're back to what we were saying at the beginning. I was like, it's not holy to sit with a very firm back and chant and bleed out my eyeballs. It's also really, <laughs> I have to think whoever massaged me, not that, oh, what a gift to massage me. I just mean like, it was a groovy time, man. We were having a groovy time. <laughs> and that dude that came in was really feeling nice and was probably in a very loving place and I hope we both enjoyed it. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Will you grab yeah. the Maharaji blanket behind you and put it on all three of us? Sure. <laughs> Do you want a blanket? It's Just raining. It's feels cold. feels really right. How are you, Gunga Dust? Do you want a blanket? We're almost done. You're yeah. okay? Um, okay. What about something you can't explain? Will you give me something juicy? Have you ever seen a ghost? Have you ever had something that you can't explain like that? Mm. UFO? Mm, um, yeah, you know, live in New Mexico. It's known for, for extraterrestrial. Oh, right, activities. of course, Roswell. Yeah, Roswell. Yeah, yeah, I always yes. forget every time I go there. But if, have you seen stuff? Well, yeah, I think that there are things I thought I, I thought I've seen. You know, it's funny, Pete. It's it's hard to come up with a thing because, first of all, I feel like a very ordinary, grounded person who hasn't had a lot of um, supernatural experiences. Mm-hmm. You know, my spiritual life is not about supernatural experiences it's very much about um the the uh transmutation of my heart mm-hmm. but i it's, okay here's here's the thing that just keeps bubbling up so i might as well just say it um i lived on neptune for four months <laughs> oh you did <laughs> no i'm saying your thing i might as well tell them yeah you maybe you should tell yours <laughs> i don't have a good one <laughs> your neptune story. <laughs> my neptune story is good um Okay, so as you two know, but maybe your listeners don't know, I lost a child. Well, I didn't lose her. She um, died. Mm. And she was killed in a car accident. Jenny, in a few days, it'll be the 20th anniversary. Wow. I can't believe it. October 30th. Mm. And um, so it was a car accident, so it was sudden. It was, there was no preparation. She, she died right away. And 
um, we, I remember about, about a, a couple of months, I did the Jewish morning cycle intentionally of taking a year to disengage from the world. That just means if you have to work, you have to work. And I, I did, I was teaching at the university, but to the, the extent to which you can avoid any other activities, mm. um, just you stay home and you be present with your experience. Mm. That's what I mean by Judaism gets death right. Mm. Um, but we, we ended up going to a movie, I don't know, a few months. It was like one of the only times we went out a few months later. And mm. there was, a, I can't remember, I think it was Johnny Darko, something Darko. Donnie, Donnie Darko. Darko. Donnie Darko. Wow. I think that was what it was. what an interesting choice. I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, go see Amelie or something. Exactly. <laughs> and I don't remember anything about the movie except for a visitation of a grandfather. I might be conflating things because grief, those of you who have experienced traumatic loss know that it's like traumatic brain injury. Mm. You you actually have sort of brain damage in those early months are often mm. hard to remember details Mm -hmm. but anyway whatever the movie was there was a scene where um i think where a grandfather who dies comes to the end of the bed of the grandson Mm. and appears to him to say goodbye and Mm. this is a common image that we see in in movies and literature Mm. and i was so furious in that moment Mm. that other people even fictitious people get to have that that visitation experience. Mm. Just like I hated Marmy in Little Women when I went to see it with my own daughters because she was like this perfect, so perfect. mom. Yes. And I felt like just a total <sighs> fuck up in comparison. Oh, wow. I thought you were going to say, because I get mad watching Daniel Tiger. That's like the cartoons same thing. with my kids. Similar. With my kid. Because I'm like, fuck this perfect dad that's like, hey buddy, looks like you're a bit upset. Want to talk about it? I'm like, <laughs> What is this fucking because shit? His, because you think you're better than me? It wasn't that. Mm. My dad like did the best dad. he could, I do want to say. And it wasn't, hey, buddy. Yeah. It wasn't that. And I hate it. And the siblings are getting along and they're singing songs about the dinner table. And I'm yeah, like, right. what is it? I get mad <laughs> for fictional <laughs> oh, familial bliss. Pete, so, that makes me so happy. Oh, good. Yeah, we're the same. <laughs> and then I realized that I had had a visitation. This was my realization. The night, so Jenny, um, she was a teenager. She took my car and left Mm. and crashed my car Mm. and died. And she was, you know, she was only 14. So she was, although we, you know, all the kids in the country learn how to, we live in a rural area and the kids all learn how to drive at a young age. And we carefully taught our children how to drive, to drive safely. But Mm. she didn't, she was in an altered state. She did not drive safely. And she crashed in the mountains. Um, But we didn't know. Like, all we knew is she'd taken off with the car and disappeared. Mm. And the police were supposedly looking for her, although not as actively as I wish they had wanted them at the time to. Mm -hmm. Um, And that night, of course, I didn't sleep, waiting for her to come home. I mean, I tried not to sleep, but I eventually fell asleep around three in the morning for a while. And in... When I woke up very suddenly from this deep sleep, I had this feeling of total peace washing through me, even though all my maternal cells were in hyperdrive um, and panic, really, panic mode. There was this deep peace that I dropped into in my sleep, and I woke up saying to myself, if Jenny dies tonight, which was the last thing I actually thought was going to happen. Wow. 
if Jenny dies tonight, it will be all right. And then by the next morning, you know, and all the family and the friends started coming to the house and the police and this and that. And it was just a hell realm. Yeah. Um, I forgot all about that. Right. And then, of course, later that afternoon, the police did come to say they had found her and she was gone. Mm. And it was anything but all right. Right. But after that experience of watching this movie and getting all pissed off about the person who got the visitation and I didn't, I was like, oh, I did. That feeling of deep peace that washed over me was Jenny coming to say, it's going to be all right, Mom. Mm. And then the, the, a similar thing was a few years later, I, I, we were in Guatemala, or actually in the border of Guatemala in Chiapas, and I, I contracted a, a, an intestinal bacteria that was very serious. And I don't know if I almost died, but I was very, very sick. Mm. And I was in a fever state. And... um. And I was in pain. It was, I forgot what, cryptosporidia or something, where it feels like every bone in your body is being torn apart, every muscle, every joint. It's intensely oh. painful, in addition to all the intestinal um, distress wow. and the fever. <clears throat> and, and it hurt so much that I was like literally crying out. And I suddenly felt Jenny, sur- oh, I, f- I called out to her. I decided, what the hell? You know, yeah. I have nothing to lose. I just called out to her, mm-hmm. and even though she was my child, um, I felt her surrounding me and enfolding me and holding me and soothing me, and I felt much, much better. And then I was like, thank you, honey. You came. Thank you. This is really helping, and I don't want to hold you back, so you can go. You can go now. Oh. That was wonderful. And she started to go again. And I was like, no, I think I cried out. Gangadas was next to me in bed. I was like, oh, I did, I did. I cried out and I said, don't go. Oh. He was like, are you okay? I woke him up, are you okay? I was like, she was here, honey, she was here. Wow. And since then she came back and gave me another she enfolding. And then I was ready. Wow. So those oh. are my supernatural experiences. Those, those are, are the good. best ones ever told on this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was really sweet. That's I know it's gorgeous. It is sort of asking for juicy, but you gave us love. You gave oh, us love yeah. stories. Those are wow. Well, so I, death is just such a, a an intimate um, companion to me that I guess everything kind of goes there. But mm. I hope not in a morbid way. Not at all. Oh, I didn't. I meant you gave us better than we could have yes. hoped for. There was nothing morbid Some about that. Like I saw a, a garden gnome move once. <laughs> <laughs> you gave which us which really gold. actually even kind of asked the which you can add to if you want, but that answered the other question, which was to speak more about grief and great love and mm-hmm. and how those are intertwined. And you just gave us like an example of of living. Yeah. With that belief. Did you feel that a, a state of brokenness was made you more receptive to divine wisdom, divine love? Yes, <laughs> but not right away. Mm. I mean, yes, right away. Looking back, I see, and those of you who have experienced great loss, which is probably almost everyone, probably know what I'm talking about. In the beginning, there was this holiness. It's like having a baby dying or being present with someone when they die mm. those threshold spaces of life and death are so similar mm. um, I, looking back I know that right away 
I was in the most sacred space I had ever been in. Wow. But I hated every minute of it because yeah. it was connected to the loss of the person who was at the center of my life. Yeah. Um, the person, the single person I've been closest to, I would mm. say even in some ways, including my beloved husband, who I'm incredibly close to. There's something about my closeness with, with my daughter, Jenny, that was... Mm. It was part of well, you yeah, those of your parents know what it can be can be and isn't always like mm-hmm. but um looking back, what I will say is that it broke open my capacity to perceive and experience wonder, almost like a childlike awe at the beauty of this world mm-hmm. so that was one of the the transformational gifts and I, but you can't tell someone that I'm talking to myself here, Mirabai, when someone is freshly grieving, it's, it's just sort of monstrous to suggest such a thing. thing. He goes, go grieve some more. Yeah. Like don't, don't try to find meaning in it. Yes. Ramdas was incredibly supportive uh, to me when Jenny died. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. He's, he was really good at that. Um, with so his time and visiting, or yeah, f- telephone and yeah. and planting a tree for her with me at the ashram. Mm. It's another time at in mm. house. Another time that he cried, he mm. he came to bless the tree planting, but all he could do was cry. Mm. You know, she was a child, and it was a child that he knew from the time she was really little, who he held in his lap in his wheelchair when he first came mm. to Taos after his stroke, and wow. you know it, it was it was true. I, he came. He asked me as a grief counselor years after Jenny died, you know, he, his beloved godson had died. And he said, does it ever get easier? Mm. I mean, Ramdas, the king of death and dying and grief and grieving, mm. asked me so, so open and vulnerable, does it ever get better? Mm. You know, and I was able to truthfully say, no, not really. Mm. Not really. And but, and Ramdas, as you have taught, no, I didn't say as you've taught, the opening of the heart is worth is worth the pain, the keeping your heart open to exactly what is um, Mm -hmm. and welcoming it. And it's like, I don't wish you the stroke. (sighs) I wish you the grace from the stroke. That's it. Mm -hmm. That's it. Last night, you know, when, when Gangadas and I were talking about how much Ramdas suffered in his body and yet the stroke was the best thing that ever happened to him. Both are true. And that is true for me with all my losses and my loss of my child is not the only one. I've, I've had some very significant deaths in my life and mm-hmm. each one of them has enlarged the capacity of my, of my heart, I would say, and mm-hmm. has also released me from the curse of specialness mm-hmm. because all my great losses, but especially the death of my daughter, showed me viscerally, demonstrated that I am part of this web of interbeing. Mm. And that mothers throughout time have experienced the death of children and Mm. I belong to them and they belong to me. And Mm. we are in this together. Mm. And so my greatest losses not only have expanded my capacity to perceive and hold and experience wonder, but have also brought me home to the human condition and to to my interconnectedness with all beings. I love that so much. And I'm so glad you're saying that because this is something that's that I've been sitting with lately where I think I I often tell and maybe this is really common, tell the story of like, yes, I know we get because I'm a nine and I don't like discomfort or pain. So it's like, okay, yeah, I know that's where we get all of the good stuff is through suffering. But you just like 
get or just like grit your teeth and bear it and go through the suffering and on the end will be comfort and clouds and you know uh all of the fruits of that and that's where we have you know get the hero's journey and and um so that myth is perpetuated mm-hmm. but i i'm sitting lately more with the cohabitating of yeah. both that yeah. that there's not a end point to this which even my therapist i remember my therapist saying like let's stop you know let's not think of it as like when you get to the end of these episodes or this whatever you know that's not really helpful and i remember at the time being like that's not what i want to hear <laughs> don't tell me that but but more and more i can feel this it's like did you see the movie inside out it's a pixar movie we love that movie and at the end you know when she kind of gets the upgrade of this the system of the control board mm-hmm. and and the the big moment is the, the, you know the little ball that was either yellow for joy or blue for sadness is yellow and blue mm. and and i have the more i've sat with my sadness for example i can i am getting more familiar with feeling the sadness and the sweetness at exactly the same moment and that's like hyper vital and just like condensed dose of life you know that was Um, so beautifully said Valerie (laughs) thank you well it really is something that I you were a part of me learning this and I'm it's still very new but I'm practicing it and and I'm glad that that you spoke on it so beautifully because that isn't that isn't how I was thinking of it originally. And I think that is, again, the, like a myth that gets perpetuated. Is mm. Let's get through the suffering so we can get the treasure. Yeah. And hopefully we do it well and we get extra points for yes. enduring it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Mm. Although we did give points to Ramdas for enduring his, his suffering. Yeah. It's funny we do. He can get. He can, it was cool. That, I mean, I, that I don't know complain. if that's the right word, but I'm like, cool. Yeah. <laughs> Or like um, impressive. Mm. I was just joking. No, I I love that. Mm. Is there, um, well, do you want to do like greatest lesson you've learned? That's what I was going to do, but I didn't want to interrupt because I've asked the past like couple questions, so I didn't want to. Well, I specifically, so we will do greatest, it's kind of a speed round, but it's never fast. So don't worry about that. Um, We'll ask you the greatest lessons you've learned about specific things. You can just give like a little. The goal is a short answer, but you don't have to be held to it. That's right. And I really do want to talk about your, you're such a, a beautiful writer mm, and you. prolific, although you're not cranking them out. You're pouring <laughs> your heart and soul into them. Um, so I would love the first one to be, what's the greatest lesson you've learned about writing? And that can be your process or just creative expression in general. I mean, whatever that brings up for you. Well, just as Ramdas formed my spiritual life in so many ways, I think my alternative um, education in in these kind of hippie free schools of the seventies really formulated me as a as a writer because we were encouraged from an early age. Natalie Goldberg was our first writing teacher there at, at the hippie school in Taos. Um, we were encouraged to just write without censoring ourselves to just keep the the pen moving and allow whatever arises to come out the 
uh, onto the page and that the it was writing as a spiritual practice really and that still is my practice it's still my, one of my primary practices and and the method really helps you sift down through the layers of surface thoughts so that you connect with the gold with what your mm. you know your true mind is is mm. speaking and you know or the language of the heart or however you want to say it so this is the method i use even as a translator I think I had that unleashed access by virtue of having spent so many hours doing this writing writing practice of writing without censoring. Mm, I love that. And then I shape it. It's like, you know, Michelangelo said, I, I saw the angel in the marble and I carved until I set it free. Mm. And that's what I do with the raw material of of these writing practices. Wow. Mm, yeah, it's it's that. easier to edit than it is to... Just look at a blank screen, right? You, you can at least see kind of what you're after. Yes. Interesting. I love that. Mm-hmm. What about meditation? People are interested in meditation. Or practice, maybe. Sure. Mm-hmm. Broaden it. Well, I know you chant, but um, I know. I also meditate. Yeah. And I also do yoga. For those who can't meditate, chant. <laughs> <laughs> and I it's often an do a combination. Hippie burn. <laughs> well, because the thing about it is about chanting. I mean... Right, so those those who don't know teach or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I heard Ramdas say that he he was making fun of the chanters, but he was a hundred percent joking, uh, of course. Right. But he, I think he was quoting like something that people would say, like pretentiously, like, "Well, if you're not disciplined enough to meditate, you can sing." Right, so right, silly, right. of course. So what I love is chanting and then dropping into the silence beat that that the words and the music unfold, mm. you know, or open. Um, so chanting first and then just ah, falling mm. into the mm. into the stillness. So one of the greatest lessons I've learned about meditation, and it is a primary practice for me, and it isn't for everybody, it doesn't need to be for everybody, mm-hmm. um, is from Ter- Teresa of Avila, mm-hmm. Santa Teresa, the 16th century uh, Spanish mystic, who said that that when you sit down to meditate, or she called it contemplative prayer, but it was really silent sitting, Mm. you are saying yes to the intimate relationship with the friend or the beloved. Mm. And it, your mind, because she, she saw the soul as this like huge crystal palace and that at the center of the, of the castle, this is her, her famous masterwork, the interior castle, the beloved is, is there inside of you, mm-hmm. waiting for union, calling you, beckoning you into union. I think of it as Krishna because I'm Mirabai and Mirabai was in love with Lord Krishna, the God of love in the Hindu tradition, playing his flute and luring you inside. Mm. So she said, when you sit down to meditate or to engage in contemplative prayer, you're saying yes to this intimate relationship with the friend and but your mind is on the periphery of the castle, grappling with 10,000 things mm. and gaining merit from the struggle. I think of that as being like jihad. Mm. The true meaning of jihad in Islam is that inner striving to align yourself with love. And mm. so that, that jihad is great, you know? So your you mind is might trying... You might not want to text it to your friends. <laughs> jihad. I mean, you might want to, even know you know the true meaning, just maybe don't email it. <laughs> no, do. We need to buzz that one. No, I, I'm, I'm making a joke about surveillance. State, I know not, you not are. I know Islam you are. And it's like, like we've that. got to bust it by, yeah. by D. Yeah, I never knew that. Yeah, what an unfair uh, thing yeah. to right. have that word ruined. So mm-hmm. we have to rescue it. Um, and so... Th- so 
that was very freeing for me because she said, really, the important thing is that you're hanging out with God. Mm. And it doesn't, of course, the mind is going to be doing what the mind is designed to do, which is to think thoughts. Mm. And it's not a problem. Mm. In fact, you can be working with the, the busyness of the mind and trying to quiet your mind. But to try to stop thinking or eliminate thinking as if that were the goal is ridiculous. Mm. And it's and it's and it's mean. It's self um self-destructive mm. so just just work with your mind to try to come to stillness come back to love you know the practice of presence the the great 17th century mystic brother lawrence called it practice presence and trust that you are you're hanging out with your beloved in the center of your soul when you sit down to meditate mm. i think it was Rumi that said um my guru or my or God repeats the mantra. I just sit lazily by the river or something oh, like that. Isn't that good? That's nice. It's like you don't even have to do the mantra. Let him do the or let them do the mantra. Yeah, let yeah. the mantra do you kind yeah, of exactly. That is. Yeah. Let it happen like your heartbeat. Yeah. Uh, I, I think we're running out of time, but yeah. do you have? I'm another? not good at this fast thing. No, you're doing. Oh no, great. you're doing great. Mm-hmm. I can't do it either. Um, well, then do we? Should yeah, we, we do should. Hardest laugh then. Yeah. Why don't we ask that? This is a fun question that you probably don't get on on the woo woo circuit. <laughs> um, can you think of a time in your <laughs> Can you think of a time in your life where you uh, laughed really, 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 really hard? Oh and my god! It doesn't have to be a great story. I like to take the pressure off of it. Yeah. Uh, and there are a couple triggers. It's like sometimes people are on drugs. Those aren't always Not the best triggers, answers. But prompts, prompts, prompts. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes somebody fell down. Yes. Sometimes somebody farted. Yes. Like one of our favorites is uh, I fell. I hit my head on he the was lamp. Doing a silly I was doing dance. a silly dance. We were in a hotel. We were at the Bowery, actually, in uh, New York. And I spun. He did a silly dance with his pants. Well, his I came out of the bathroom with my, my pants kind of around my ankles. Yeah. And I said, do something that's never been done before. And then I spun around, but in like the spinning, kind of crazy, weird way, I hit my head on like a low, well, I'm very tall, so I hit my head on a lamp and then I fell down. It was all kind of like play, but I also did hit my head and fall. It was a, his hand on the ceiling. Fan. Oh, oh, was so it? We're like doing this. Cra- this is how I remember it. And we can trust my memory. We can't trust yours more than mine. <laughs> you're, you're like. In mine, Sammy Davis Jr. was there. So I, mean, like, I, I don't think mine was real. Yeah. <laughs> Your pants were like just below your butt. So just your butt was out. And you were like doing a crazy dance. Naked butt? Yeah. Oh, wow. And you were doing like a silly (laughs) dance. You were trying to make me laugh. And I was laying on the bed. And then you like hit your hand on the ceiling fan. Which was on. Yeah. And you were like, ah! And then you fell onto the bed. And then I laughed so hard that I farted. And then we just. Which made it a new thing. Then we just died. It (laughs) was like one funny thing after. It was like a triple whammy. You just couldn't handle it. That's one of our best laughs. That is a pretty decent story, and I'm trying to tell you that it doesn't have to be a great story. Yeah. Maybe, you, maybe you're young. Maybe your tears are rolling down your laugh, and you can't. You think you're going to die because you're laughing so hard. Does anything oh God, come to mind? You're right. Mind? It's too much pressure. All, it is a lot. all I can do is generalize and say that I that I married to someone with incredibly um, acute dry wit who makes mm. me laugh every single day. Mm, a very cute. A very cute wit. <laughs> adorable. <laughs> and so, yeah, Gangadas is very funny. Mm. And, and it's it's one of the great gifts of our relationship is mm. how much he makes me laugh every single day. 
I love that. Is that I good enough for that's me? Of course it that's is. That's beautiful. Of course I it is. Any, any of course taught me to laugh at myself. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Val and I have a secret language where we squeeze ourselves really hard we'll when something weird is happening. Yeah. Something like no one else can but it's know. Like, it's we'll like push a our hand. Like we could be squeeze. doing it right now. You're just like so it's pushing. Like, it's like and if we, we did were, it yesterday. When, were, when did we do we it? We did it. I can't. It was during something. It was during something. <laughs> I don't. On I mean, stage? Yeah, I think so. But it was. But. Oh, you know what? It was when the. the um, When the Ramdas video. So we were in at the Wisdom. They were showing beautiful Ramdas footage on the dome. And it, and l- we were listening to a talk of his and it was like very deep and we were getting really pulled in. And then there was some technical difficulties. Oh, yeah. So it's oh, like if yeah. something is awkward or if someone yeah. is, is being strange and we're at a party, the way we communicate is like a very slow squeeze. <laughs> yeah. And somehow it's just a perfect communication of like, this is something we're going to be talking about this later. Well, right? it's like, I think I'm a four now too. And like Mm -hmm. being understood and like, do you see what I see? And like having you guys laughing at the same things all day is like, I see the world the same way. Like jokes are like little jokes are like ways of saying, this is what it looks like in my head. And, and you give a little drawing to someone else and you go, that's what it looks like in my head. And it's like the least, it's the opposite of being lonely. And that's why it hurts so bad when someone doesn't understand your drawing. You're like, is this how you see it? And you're like, no, I, I'm a, I'm an accountant. (laughs) (laughs) But isn't it beautiful? It's one, I mean, it's not the only thing that we have like this, but it is the most beautiful experience of solidarity because it's an involuntarily an involuntary bodily reaction Mm -hmm. so you're like hey this makes my body do something and then somebody says that makes my body do that too right it's so beautiful is it okay to give a blessing on this podcast you can to offer a blessing you know when um i one of my teachers was also great great being i think um reb zalman Shakter Shalomi, and right before he died, he said to a small group of us that were with him, you must start giving blessings because the blessings have been reserved for the priests and the rabbis and the imams and the shamans, but everyone has to bless each other at every opportunity. So Mm. with that context, I want to say that for those of you who are listening, who hear every week the the beauty of of Pete and Valerie's relationship and of her hearing about these old farts Gangadas and me and how we have this vibrant happy mm-hmm. relationship and he makes me laugh and we have great sex <laughs> and you're going I don't have that you know mm-hmm. I don't have that person I can squeeze mm-hmm. in in you know in our private love language when someone's funny or silly or that we have something to talk about later mm-hmm. and and if you're feeling some pain around that my offering of blessing to you is may you have that also in your life. May you have that someone that you can have your private um, signal that makes you laugh so hard that you can't contain it. Mm. And that, that kind of love. I want that for you. Mm. May you find a a naked ass man with his hand in the ceiling fan (laughs) that makes you blow out a celebratory toot. Exactly. May it be so. (laughs) Amen. Amen. (laughs) Well, Miravai, you're a delight. The book is Wild Mercy, not Wild Sex. It's called Wild Mercy. (laughs) And but that's just one of your books. It happens to be one of your incredible books and your newest book. But there's so many others to check out, and there's more. 
So just go go get all the Mirabai Star stuff. Mm. That's what I say. Thank you, Pete Holmes. Would you say keep it crispy? It's how we end. The guest says keep it crispy. Keep it crispy. Oh, Oh, very nice. Beautiful. (laughs) Okay, let's get you to the airport. Oh, thank (laughs) you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Much love. Love, love, love. Oh, so crispy.